0: Hello and welcome to The Long View, a podcast that takes a closer look at the games people play. The Long View is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Go to Dicetower.com to find a host of resources for board gamers everywhere. Whether you're looking for a great review, the newest top ten list, or perhaps uh, links to other great podcasts in the Dice Tower Network, you can find it all at Dicetower.com. The Long View is also generously sponsored by Gamesurplus.com. Gamesurplus.com continues to be your best choice if you're thinking about buying a game online. Their customer service is spectacular, their reputation is sterling, and their prices just cannot be beat. So be sure to check out gamesurplus.com. Also, please uh, stay tuned at the end of this episode for a special announcement regarding Gamesurplus i also like to give a special shout-out to my local game store, which is the Gamer's Edge in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. The Gamer's Edge is conveniently located off of Interstate 80 right on Main Street in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. So if you're in the northeastern Pennsylvania region or northern New Jersey or southern New York, definitely swing on by the next time you're in the area. They have a huge and growing collection of board games, card games, uh, CCGs, you name it, they've got it. Large amount of open gaming space, tables, well-lit and a friendly and knowledgeable staff. That's the Gamer's Edge in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. Thanks to them and Game Surplus for their support. My name is Jeff Gamble. I'm the host of The Long View. And today I am pleased to be joined once again by Jim Shaw. Uh, otherwise, no, no, God, that was terrible. Let's try that again. My name is Jeff Gamble. I'm the host of The Long View, and I'm pleased once again to be joined by none other than Jim Shaw, Red V on Board Game Geek. Uh, Jim has been with me before for other uh, episodes of the podcast, and I'm really excited to have the opportunity to talk with him about his favorite game, Dominion. Been a long time coming, Jim. I'm glad we finally had the chance to talk. Welcome to the show.
1: Oh, Thanks for having me back, Jeff. It's always a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, thank you very much, Jim. It's uh, always great fun to have a chance to talk with you, and uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, doing this tonight with you, but I- I'm also a little bit uh, worried about it. I mean, Dominion is one of those games that is so big. It was such a game-changer when it came out. It has spawned such a huge number of um new games and spinoffs and uh, games that have uh, used the same kind of mechanisms of deck building and games that have taken it and uh, tried a different approach. And it's just an absolutely, uh, really a kind of an essential game to talk about. So I'm glad I'm going to have the chance to talk to you because you have played this game a ton,
1: yes? Oh yeah, I've probably played like two or three like hundred face-to-face games and I don't know, a thousand or... 1,500 games online and on the iOS and things. So, yeah, I play it all the time. Well, I'm really looking forward to having a
0: chance to dive into this game with you, Jim. So, uh, for those of you who, you know, maybe new to the hobby or haven't heard about Dominion before, um, this is a really interesting game. It was designed by Donald X. Vaccarino, uh, and it is published uh, by Rio Grande Games. And this is a game that is card-based. And it takes this notion of deck building, which players of games like Magic the Gathering or Netrunner or Pokemon may be familiar with this idea of uh, gathering cards together from a large pool of available cards and then constructing a deck that you then take to a meetup with somebody else, and or perhaps in a tournament, and then you're going to actually have the chance to go head-to-head with that other player, your deck against their deck, and you're going to kind of have this epic battle, and you're going to see who wins, who constructed the better deck. Well, what Donald Vaccarino did is he kind of took that notion and said, well, what if building your deck was actually part of the game and not a precursor to the game so what he did is he designed a large array a supply of cards all of which had different effects and different abilities if you want to call it that during the game and what he did is he kind of made a large portion of the game the actual process of building your deck so it wasn't just this thing that you did beforehand it wasn't just this thing that you studied and tinkered with and uh read a you know you know little articles and whatnot online to try to figure out what would be the best mix of cards for you to go up and beat on somebody else. Um, It actually was... A integral part of the game, and as a matter of fact, a large portion of the game is actually constructing your deck. And the way you construct the deck is by drafting cards um, using a sort of economy system that the game has and adding them to your deck. The interesting part being, uh, this is another little twist that he did, which is when you add a card to your deck, it does not go into your hand. It goes into a discard pile. And once you have gone through all of the cards in your deck, you get to take the cards that are in your discard pile, shuffle them together uh, with the original cards that you started with. And I'm sure, uh, you know, Jim, you can explain to us a little bit later that idea of the starting hand, the sort of the seeding of everyone's deck. And over time, you end up with this differentiated deck that is going to look different from everybody else's. And you're going to kind of get to find out whether the deck you built Is better than the deck that the other players at the table built. But you're all participating in doing this together. And so this was really kind of a revolutionary idea. And so many games have been spawned from this. And I know that you want to talk about that a little bit later, Jim. And so, you know, it really is a very important idea in modern board gaming. So if that's kind of an introduction to the mechanics, Um, you know jim can you tell us a little bit about your history with the game Um, maybe an introduction for you as as far as when you first started playing the game when you heard about it uh, what your initial thoughts were and if you could also maybe speak a little bit to that idea of were you attracted to this because you were a ccg player um, or was that something completely outside of it Uh, what would you have to say about all that
1: well, um, I first played the game uh, pretty early on, right around when it came out. Um, actually, Justin Nordstrom, who's been on the show plenty of times, um, uh, brought it to my house. We sat down and played it, um, and I enjoyed the game. Although the idea of you know playing your hand and then everything goes into your discard pile was a little bit, um, I don't know it. it I wasn't comfortable with it in the first few games, um, because it's, what am I doing here, you know, because you don't quite see that you're building, what you're building is the pile of cards, so you're not building a traditional tableau that's out in front of you, um, but rather like a vertical tableau that you can't see all at once, so that kind of put me off a little bit in the beginning, um, you know, and I thought, oh, that, that was a fun game, but it was really afterwards, like, you know, the next day, the, you know, next week, I kept thinking about it, and it's like, wow, I could do this, you could do that, you know, and, and different ways that you could, you know, experiment and play with those cards and, and build combos and make things happen, and it really just just grabbed me, and, you know, I've uh purchased it soon after that, and um has pretty much loved it ever since, especially once I started treating it um, especially the base set um, as my gateway game of choice Like I started playing it with everyone I think it's might be the best gateway game just as its base set that uh, has been made I think it's better than Ticket to Ride Carcassonne uh, for introducing gamers or introducing uh, this game to non-gamers I should say
0: well that sounds interesting because you know a lot of people have said that they believe that Dominion is a great gateway game. And I think there's definitely something to that because the core mechanism of the game is this idea of you have one action every turn and you have one buy every turn. And what that basically means is you're going to have a hand of cards in in your hand, and out of those cards, you have five cards that you're always going to draw at the start of your turn. Uh, You may have some cards that are just uh, representations of coins. They're treasure cards, they're called, and they might be worth uh, one or two or three, whether they're copper, silver, or gold, respectively. Uh, And then you also have other cards, which are called action cards, and these are cards that are going to do something something for you they're either going to allow you to draw more cards from your deck or they're going to attack your opponent in some way or perhaps they're going to give you some sort of a uh, extra ability like an extra buy instead of just one buy and so what ends up happening over time is w- when you start the game it's really rather simple. It's like, okay, I can play this card, and I can buy that card. And when I talk about buying cards, I think it's important to remember that there is an arrangement of cards that are available. And there are ten different cards. Uh, it's ten, yes, Jim, that are set out?
1: Yeah, ten. Uh, they're called the kingdom decks. Um, they make the kingdom that you'll be um, purchasing cards. Um, these are things like villages, smithies, um, militias, and stuff like that to enter into your deck that you'll be playing later. Great. Yeah. Thanks
0: for clarifying that. I couldn't remember whether it was eight or 10. Um, There's so many deck builders as one of the points that I made earlier. And uh, sometimes it does get a little good. Do you draw six cards? Do you draw five cards? Is it eight? Is it 10? So thanks for clearing that up for me. Yeah. um, So you have this array of cards that you're going to be able to draft and put into that discard pile. And then when they come back up, they're going to increase your abilities, increase your powers. So... You start off with this very simple, I can play a card, I can buy a card. But then later it's like, well, I can play a card which allows me to play two more cards. And then one of those two cards that I played allows me to draw a card. And then that card that I drew, I can play because the first card I played said I could play two more cards. And that card allows me to do another buy and so pretty soon you end up with uh, what a lot of people uh, that I played the game with, Jim, called chaining, where you kind of are able to kind of string these cards along uh, in this sort of chain where one is allowing you to play another, which is allowing you to activate another, which is allowing you to get this discount, which is allowing you to draw this card, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And before long, you have these really sort of uh, intricate kind of turns. And so when you first start exploring the game of Dominion, you really, uh, at least I I did, you get fascinated with this chaining of these cards and this gradual building of your abilities and your um, capability of going through that vertical sort of um, tableau that you're talking about, which I've never heard anybody say that before, Jim. I think it's a fantastic way of putting it. You know, your deck is a vertical tableau and you're going through it from top to bottom. And I think that's a really interesting way, um, you know, to, to think about it because in many ways you're absolutely right. I mean, these are your cards, but instead of them being arrayed in front of you, you know, from your standard kind of left to right, they're actually uh, in a pile, and you're going to be kind of having them come out almost in a conveyor belt sort of a fashion uh, through the course of the game, and they're going to recycle, and there's going to be some randomization because you shuffle them every time that you have depleted your draw pile, but you are going to have this sort of continuous sort of effect as you work your way through this deck. So uh, the game really grabs you, you say, and you started thinking about it as a gateway game. And what I'm curious is, what was the reaction of the people that you taught the game to? Did they take to it in much the same way you did? Or, you know, did you
1: find some were resistant? What would you say about that? Um, Yeah, um, actually, me and my wife uh, played this, uh, and still do, over... I don't know, the last couple of years, um, we've had a couple that come down and we basically just play Dominion with them. They love it that much. Um, They are not really that interested in playing anything else. They just, you know, they are, we're Dominion players. Like some people get together and play Bridge on Friday nights. We do that with Dominion. Um, And they, and they're not big gamers. Um, They don't have a game collection or anything like that. But they have bought the game. They've bought a couple expansions. They've cho- showed it to their, they have adult children. They've showed it to their kids. And they've bought their own games. And, you know, and so, and that's spread even beyond that. It's, you know, like a disease, I guess, you know, the, the Dominion <laughs> disease. All right. But All right. I've done that with other games, too. I've tried to show people Ticket to Ride, but never, nothing ever took. Not like Dominion, you know, like that was just something because Dominion has that moment. More than any other game, anything um, I would call a gateway where it clicks. You know, like you show people how to play, and then you know by about their fifth, sixth, seventh turn, you can see it. Like they've made that chain combo, and they've played a smithy and a village and a market, and they've gotten their eight dollars, and they're buying a province, and then they. It clicks and they realize they've built something, they made something. And for a lot of non-gamers, that's something they've never done in a game before. They played Monopoly, but in this they made something. They took those ten cards and they looked and they bought certain cards to create like a combo for them, like you know, their first combo. And from that, you know, a gamer is created.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting way to put it, this idea of that aha moment when, you know, the light bulb kind of goes off and you see the potential uh, that lies in the cards that are in front of you. Um, You know, I'm really kind of torn here, Jim, about how much time we should take, you know, sort of explaining the game and how much we should just assume everybody already knows it. Um, I've kind of talked about the core mechanics of the game. We talked a little bit about the setup as far as the array of cards. Can you kind of walk us through a little bit of... um, you know the the other elements of the game that you know maybe people who haven't had the chance to play this yet would need to know about. So for example, you know your starting deck, the uh, whole idea of buying the victory point cards, and the sort of uh, balancing act that you have to kind of uh, be able to pull off between buying these these cards that are going to eventually give you your victory and waiting until the appropriate moment to do that. Uh, can you speak a little bit about that and also? The variety of cards that come in that uh, initial base set. You know, we were talking about this array of 10 cards, but there's more than that. So, can you briefly kind of describe some of those things for people who might not be familiar?
1: Oh, yeah, okay. So, uh, in Dominion, you're going to start with a uh, starting deck of 10 cards. Um, that's going to be made up of seven coppers, which are worth $1 a piece. And uh, three estates, which are one victory point apiece. So you start the game with three uh, points. The uh, victory points are just the, just points at the end of the game. They don't do anything. What they do is actually clog up your deck. And uh, so on your turn you're gonna draw five cards. Um, from that you'll see how much money you have. You have no actions to start the game so you don't have to worry about the action phase. Uh, you will just buy one card. You can buy one card. So you'll look out there and pick a card from those ten that you want to buy. Um, that will go into your discard pile, and you'll move on. Um, what's interesting there, right out the gate, is uh, you're going to have a starting hand. First of all, your first two hands, nobody's going to mess with you. There's nothing anybody can do that's going to affect what you are doing, because none of the cards affect the other players until at least they cycle through their decks again and get to turn three. Um, traditionally, just, uh, they, they call this the... Uh, you can start with a 2-5 opening, which is two coppers on the first hand and your three estates, and then five coppers. Or uh, you can start with a 3-4, uh, which would be three coppers and two estates and then the four coppers and one estate. And this you're going to look at and draw and figure out what you're going to buy with. Um, and this creates uh, a couple different strategies. What I want to talk about like, is a lot of people just want to jump right in and, and you know buy cards, but you should take a moment and look at the cards and try to figure out what you're going to do, like have a plan, you know, am I going to, you know, how am I going to combo these cards, look at uh, Smithy and, you know, Festival or whatever it is, uh, looking at how you want to approach this to get the victory points or the most victory points by the end of the game. And the game will end when either all the provinces, which are the six point victory points, or three, any three stacks is gone throughout the game.
0: Well, thanks for walking us through that, because I just wanted to make sure in case there was someone who didn't know that, you know, what are the sort of basics of the game? Um, I also wanted to briefly talk about, you know, the variety in the box. So you mentioned that there are these uh, cards that are available. They're called kingdom cards, you said. And uh, each stack of kingdom cards has 10 exact copies of the same card. So you're putting out 10 stacks of 10 cards. And then you're going to have those victory point cards you just spoke of in varying numbers depending on the number of players. But the the interesting thing is you're never really having to play with the same stack of ten kingdom cards. There are a, a huge amount of cards just in the base game. And so every time you play, you can actually play with a different array of cards. You can play with a different group of cards, which is going to suggest different combinations and different patterns. How important is that, do you think, Jim, to the success of Dominion?
1: Oh, I think it's very successful. That's what bridges that gap for this is a gateway game and also a game for gamers, you know, because you can... that. A random setup that's going to be different every time means that I can play with those same ten cards with you know friends who have never played before, um, and try to figure out different things. So it's satisfying for me as a as a hardcore gamer, and still it's something that I can play with them. And then I can just you can change it just a little bit, and you can guide um, let's say non gamers further along that path uh, to seeing the different cards in the set. Um, and I think that was a huge thing. And there's also, I think Dominion does a really good job, and I can't think of a game that even does a better job of divvying up the information that it expects the player to deal with. So I think there's 20 kingdom decks in the in the base game. You're only going to play with 10. Um, so already half the box. You don't have to worry about. You don't even have to read the cards or learn what they do. So when you get the game, you can start out. You just set up for your first game, and that's all you need to know is what those ten cards do. Um, and then while you play the game, you know you're only dealing with the five cards that are in your hand. You don't have to worry about um, you know what else is going on um, as as or even other players because this is kind of it's it, this is a euro game. Dominion is a euro game at heart. Uh, so it's not really a lot of um take that or uh i guess uh heavy ameritrash theme or anything going on it's just uh, that victory point thing like uh so many other euro games but that you're not interfering with the other players which is uh really appealing to a lot of people um so yeah so you're dividing up this information in little bite-sized chunks that you know anybody can uh really get into but at the same time there's those next layers you know like if if Like, I can try to think what's left in my deck that I'm going to draw, what, you know, have I played yet, so I can think deeper, you know, to that next level, because I, you know, through experience of playing the game, where, like, a new player can still, like I said, have fun, play the game, and draw the cards, and, you know, go about playing the game at their level, and we can all have fun together, so, and that's because of that randomness, the the little divvying up of information for every player.
0: You know, that's an excellent point, this divvying of information and and revealing the complexity in the game in small, bite-sized chunks. I think that's an excellent point. I never really thought about it before, Um, and and I think you're right. I mean, you can throw a, a completely new set of cards at players every single time they play. Um, or, you know, as you're sort of, as you said, guiding, I like that kind of word you used of guiding new players along, you can play with the same set of Kingdom cards a few times until they really kind of get the hang of that. And then maybe just change out one or two, you know, say, hey, you know, no one ever used, uh, you know, this particular card. So why don't we swap it out and bring in a different card and see what happens. And so uh, I, I like that fact that there's not only that variety, but there's also the potential for you to control the variety and sort of control the amount of new information you're going to throw at players. So um, you know now, as you said, with just the base box, there is a huge amount of variety. But then, when you take a look at it, you know, Dominion came out in 2008. But then, almost immediately on its heels was uh, uh, the first expansion, which was another big box expansion. It was actually a standalone. In other words, it also gave you all of the victory point cards and the treasure cards again. Um, and that was Dominion Intrigue, and a whole nother set of uh, Kingdom cards. And then uh, following soon after that, uh, late, I think even in the same year, you had Dominion Seaside, uh, which added new types of cards, including what uh, they called Duration cards. And these are cards that would not be discarded at the end of your turn, but would actually stay out on the table from turn to turn. Uh, and then we had Dominion Prosperity, and we had uh, you know a- another a group of small expansions, uh, including Dominion Alchemy and Dominion Cornucopia Um, uh, dominion dark ages was one of the later ones and i think we finally ended the whole cycle with uh, dominion hinterlands and dominion guilds uh, which i think guilds was the last one so when you take all of these cards together and i have all of these except for cornucopia and alchemy you're literally talking hundreds of opportunities you know hundreds of different kingdom cards uh, of which you're only going to use 10 in any given game and i think at one point just for giggles i kind of punched in like what are all the possible you know decks that could be constructed out of this many different sets of cards if you're only using 10 and it came out to something ridiculous jim like you know like a billion different combinations that literally are there with all of these different kingdom cards. And uh, that's a that's a really impressive thing. Um, it, and it's also something that can be overwhelming. But because of what you just described, it doesn't have to be. And that's a real strength of this game. So Dominion is a very approachable. And yet, as you said, it has layers, okay? So you can play it casually, or you can play it uh, in a more studied fashion. And this is what led to some of the first sort of grumblings about Dominion that I can recall. And I want to kind of try and tackle those a little bit now. What would you say to people who, you know, played Dominion enough that they kind of understood that money in many ways is really the most important thing and that often the first player to get a few golds added to their deck if they played uh, judiciously and if they uh, made sure that they were acquiring those treasure cards which is what's necessary not only to buy the kingdom cards but ultimately to buy the victory point cards um, that really a money deck is going to beat you know these fancy chaining decks of all of these cool actions because um you know I, I heard a lot about that i'd say about six months or so after the game came out what would you say to that criticism of dominion
1: well i mean i think that comes from uh the way the game is maybe approached uh if, if that might be the first plateau you know that you reach that first layer um i mean i even do it too when i teach the game I basically just flat out say, okay, on your turn, you're trying to get to $8 so that you can buy a province, you know? And that's just a small goal that I can throw out there for people to play and try to achieve. Um, And you can do fairly well with that idea, and you can play casually and have no problems with it, and um, you might win some of the time, you might lose, but you're not really digging deeper. And in fact, a lot of these questions were um, answered by actual, um, uh, data, they ran some, some, uh, mock, uh, decks through a computer system. Um, I'm sorry, they, um, I'm talking about is, uh, dominionstrategy.com, uh, is a website that, uh, they used to draw, uh, information from a computer program called Isotropic, which was, I believe, where a lot of playtesting of Dominion was happening, um, after the first set was released, and, uh, they gathered a lot of data and stuff like that, and, we're using that uh, to rank players and stuff like that. And a they kind of answered this question for us. Uh, they basically said, you know, you can win your first game. Uh, and let's go with the first game setup has the uh, smithy card in it. And you can buy a smithy when you have your four dollars. And you can just buy gold and then buy another smithy and just buy more money and keep that cycling until you can buy your Eight dollar uh, province, and you can play your game out automatically, and you might do pretty well. You you can you'll beat all your friends who have just started playing the game, right? And but the trick would be um, the next game is beating them when they mimic your um, strategy, right? They they might play again, and they might buy the smithy, and you have to beat that, right? So they actually ran a um, a contest to see. You know, can you design a deck to beat the Smithy big money uh, deck that um, from the first game? And um, at first it was brought up where, like, all right, you can beat that simply by, you know, buying a village to go with your Smithy. So now you can... Play two smithies and draw more, and then later on buying a market so that you can buy you know two things, and you know later on or and then adding in a militia so that it slows down everybody else's card. So now you're building an engine that can defeat just that big money strategy. And let me just clarify for some terms. Um, there's five basic strategies, uh, for Dominion. And, uh, these terms come from the Dominion strategy, uh, website. Uh, but I believe they were created by a user named Winder, And, um, uh, basically it's big money, um, an engine deck, a combo deck, a rush deck, and a slog deck. And I can get into those terms for, you know, which one, uh, what they mean, uh, in a bit. Um, but anyway, to take my, a conversation about how to beat that you know just money strategy they took it further and had a contest and you know they would run whatever deck you designed against the computer a thousand times or whatever it was and you know uh, because they would define the parameters of how much the AI would use to buy things and in certain situations the idea was for you the uh, uh, website user to come up with an idea and actually to beat that, just out of that first game, to beat that money deck by 90% of the time, it would lose to a seller and a mine combo, That if you opened with that combo. um, That would actually defeat that 92% of the time, with a few other cards sprinkled in as the game went on. Um, So, like I said, it's just layers that you just have to dig a little deeper. You know, like, don't give up just because you... That's a little bit of that group thing, too. Like, oh, just the money's the only way to win just to buy, you know, that one draw a lot of cards card and um, uh, take it from there and don't experiment with anything else. Um, you just have to dig deeper and look at those cards and try to figure out that combo. That's why I said it's a really important part of the, de- of the game. Like, after you set up the cards and you get your deck... You should read all those cards and you need to figure out what you're going to do. you know you have to spend that time to come up with your strategy, you know or you're missing a whole layer of the game. You're playing it tactically instead of strategically. you know And uh, I guess now be like I will I'll share with you the, the five strategies and how uh, they different works so, or work uh, throughout the game. Now which one's the best one is going to be different? every setup of the game. That's where you're going to have to make that decision of looking at those cards and saying, you know, what am I going to go for? And sometimes, I, I'll admit, sometimes money is going to be the best one. You may look at those cards and go, all right, I got to just draw cards and draw money because nothing out here is going to be faster than that. You know, and, but that's also going to depend on player count and what other players are buying, what other cards are out there. You know, are other players going to be able to slow me down? So, all right, so the five strategies, uh, the first one is big money, which we've just been talking about. Um, they call it big money because it's just about buying money and one draw card. So it's going to be like the smithy lets you draw three cards. Um, the council room, I believe, is, is the one that lets you draw four cards. Um... They are just—you're just, just going to buy that card, and you're going to buy money. As soon as you get to six dollars, you're buying gold. If you buy—if you get to eight dollars, you're buying a province, and that's all you're doing. The game kind of runs on autopilot a little bit there. Uh, other than that decision of, I this is what I'm going to go for right in the beginning. You've decided on your strategy, and you're going to ride it through. Um, the next one is when you you add a combo, which would be something where like you're going to play. Um, Two cards that, you know, have a, a synergy, to of them. And this can be different, do different things. And I'm just going to stick with the base game because they get crazy as you go into the, the expansions. Like, Absolutely. just different yeah. things that you can do. So we're just going to stick with the base game. Um... So all right so that Smithy you can combo him with a festival like so festival and smithy are out there you can just go for combo for smithies and combo and festivals because the combo gives you two actions so you can try to draw into your next uh um so you play a festival which will give you two actions and, you, and then you play your smithy and you're trying to draw into another festival and another smithy so that you know you can extend that and then what you really want to do is get to $16 maybe $18 $20 for these massive hands where you are going to buy two maybe three provinces in one turn you know and and you're kind of waiting a little bit too because um, it's going to take you a little bit longer to get there um it kind of like uh let's say big money is traveling at 50 miles an hour you know you might start going slower and then you're going to bolt to the finish line at the end um you know kind of a, that race metaphor um Then you've got like a, and combo doesn't have to deal with money. You can take it in a different direction. Like there's an interesting combo that, um, where you will take the chapel, which lets you trash cards. It's remove them from the game, um, thinning your deck basically, so you have less cards to play with, trying to get the junk out. Because those coppers and estates, they're not that great a card. But uh, you play with the chapel, and you can combo that with the remodel. And you can just, and remodel lets you upgrade a card. So trash a card and gain a card that costs... Uh, more than the card that you trash, so you're kind of turning, you know, coppers into uh, duchies, duchies into um, gold, and so on and so forth. Um, and what this does is, like, you're basically you're trying to finish the game with six car or six cards in your deck, but three of them are going to be provinces. But you're trying to do it in 10, 12 turns by just, you know, trashing and then remodel, remodel, remodel every turn, and then eventually you're remodeling provinces into provinces just to finish that game as fast as possible and that's just another example of a combo that you could uh, build Um, but again that's only going to work depending on what other cards are out there you can't do it if there are attack cards out there that are going to mess with what you can do so they are—they're going to inhibit your ability, and you have to be able to see that when you look at the display. When the ten kingdom cards, you got to uh, make that call. What combo can I go for if that's the way you want to go? Or you can add an engine, and that's be—that would be where you're going to build a bunch of different cards. Like you've got, you know, four, five, six cards. Like I was describing before, where you're going to have a smithy and a village, and you know, maybe a mine and a cellar, and you know, a militia whatever it might be, and they're all going to work together to try and get you this this engine pumping that's going to near the end of the game, and I could talk a little bit too about um, how you've got this build-up moment, and then you've got the, it's time for victory points, you know, like I'm ready, I've got my deck running fine like so many economic games, you know, I've got my machine running, and now I'm going to just drive it for victory points uh, near the end of the game. Um... And that's not to say that there's not tactical decisions that you can't make during the game, or even during that part of the game, where you're like, you know, what should I go for here? Should I try to, can I push it, push my luck, and draw more cards, or should I just settle for what I can get right here? You know, things like that. Um, so that would be called an engine deck, and then you've got um, what what we call a rush deck, where you're worried, not so worried about the provinces, now you're looking at, alternate victory points like gardens or even duchies because your plan, and this works more in multiplayer games, your plan is now wipe out three piles as fast as possible. So while everybody else is trying to build their engine and get their money supply going and you know, build the get their combos working, you're just rushing to that game-end condition as fast as possible and just have a few of those other cards that nobody was paying attention to throughout the game those other victory point cards, you know, while they were wasting time um, building their, uh, getting their engines ready, you were just striking to the end of the game and you've already won before they're ready to, you know, buy their second province or third province. Um, and then finally it would be like, a, it's called a slog, and that means um, that you are, you're slowing the game down. Same idea, you're going to grab those other victory, those alternate victory points, you're going to grab the gardens, which gives you, uh, points for every card in your uh, deck. Um, I'm sorry, every 10 cards in your deck. So you want a big pile of cards. But a lot of this has to do with attack cards, and you're just slowing everybody down. Like, you know, uh, Militias make them discard, so they have less resources to do things. Witches put curses in their deck, so they have a lot more jump cards to deal with. Um, and like I said, you're just going to slow the whole game down, and hopefully... The game will end again with the three piles, but, you know, in a longer just, you know, powering through. Because the strategy that they went for doesn't work because you've extended it out so long. They could, they couldn't get the end condition to work, you know, they wanted to. So those are like the five basic overall strategies that, you know, you're going to get before you even buy a card. you got to kind of look at those decks and see what you want to go for. And then that isn't to say that you just pick one and then you run it automatically, you know, you still adjust as people go through. Like, you might be uh, two, three turns to the game, and nobody's going for militias or something, and that's going to maybe put you in a direction that, okay, it's safe to go for this, st- or, you know, this I can push further into this strategy um, because no one's uh, attacking me. You know, there's it's a, no attacks. Even those attack cards out there, no one is attacking. Um, and other cards that people buy might influence you a little bit on how you want to adjust your game. Um, but again, it's 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 a Euro game, so you're not really attack. Even those attack cards, it's not like I pick a person and I attack them. You just play a card, it gives you a benefit, and it hurts every other player in some minor way, slows them down, um, things like that. Um, and then what you play during your turn. I always like to say, Dominus got there, what you buy is your strategic part of the game. And what you, or how you implement your strategy, is by what you buy, what you play during your turn, how you play your cards, is what is would be your tactics, and that's uh, what you're doing short-term decisions. And a lot, I will admit, in the base game, um, tactically, a lot of it can play automatically. Um, there are some decision making because, like I said before, um, I can be looking at six, seven dollars. Do I push my luck, or let's say I'm looking at eight. Twelve dollars, even. Do I push my luck and draw cards, or do I, um, you know, settle for that? And you know, because I feel like I have a good hand of cards coming up that I'm going to. I don't want to go into that. And also the idea of I, if I draw too much money. Let's say I only have one buy. Right. Once I get over eight dollars, I'm wasting money. You know, like so. If I'm at seven dollars and, um, or even eight, I guess. Um, I can uh, push to draw. If I don't draw something that's going to give me an extra buy, then I'm wasting any money I have over eight dollars. So uh, just just some other tactical decisions to make and stuff like that. Or if I if I have a money lender and that's guy that's going to give me extra money for coppers, but I don't have any coppers, should I try to you know draw cars to get a copper? Do I feel like I have enough coppers in my draw pile that I'm going to uh, get one to make that pay off? Or should I, you know, try something else and, you know, go that route, you know, with another car that I might have in my hand? Or maybe this is the time to remodel something instead of going for that money lender, set, you know, idea, you know, things like that. Um, and so that would be like maybe your tactics. But a lot of that plays automatically in uh, the base game, you know, and that's where, like I said, if we want to get through the um, expansions, um, they did a lot of different things. Um, that's not to say that the game is flawed in any way. It's just they the expansions extend that experience. Once again, they just introduce more little things. You know, like intrigue. I think one of the main themes of intrigue outside, you know, not a thematic thing theme, uh, theme, but or but a uh, the way that the mechanics are implemented uh, intrigue gives you more tactical decisions so there's a lot of cards in intrigue that give you a choice you know what do you want to do? do you want an extra buy do you want an extra card do you want an extra action things like that that's what happens a lot in uh, intrigue um, and should i continue through the uh, other expansions and what they do or where do you want to go next Jeff
0: well, you know, uh, the first thing I want to do is thank you for explaining those sort of five uh, basic strategies of Dominion because, you know, there's a lot of people out there, uh, you know, I'm sure, and and I'm one of them, who haven't really heard that articulated. Um, but as you say it, it's something that, you know, certainly rings true to me. Uh, you know, some of the, the the sort of concepts, you know, this idea of uh, trying to, you know, build an engine and then get it to run, you know, that's that kind of strategy that starts slow, but then uh, in the end game. Can very quickly pay off for you. Um, you know, I have played the money deck. Uh, I have uh, also explored some of those layers you're talking about. Um, you know, it's funny you mentioned the gardens. Um, you know, I have had uh, many games where I was able to uh, eke out a win with a market garden strategy. And, uh, you know, what I'm doing with all those extra buys is I'm just getting coppers because at the end of the game, you're going to get a victory point for every 10 cards. So that's like one of the few cards where coppers can actually be a benefit to you. You know, so, uh, you know, the normal sort of strategy in Dominion is you want to thin your deck, you want to shed those sort of, uh, you know, th- those those cards that are not really going to do you much good. You know, this is why the mine is such a powerful card, because it's going to allow you to sort of get rid of those coppers by transforming them into silvers, and then your silvers into golds, etc. Um, but but, you know, when even the, the lowly copper can become a very effective tool uh, if you kind of put it into the hands of a player who can look at that array of cards and then say, ah, okay, here's something that I can make work. So, you know, I appreciate you kind of going through those and sort of uh, talking about all of the different ways that you can approach the game. But it does, however, you know, before we go and maybe delve into some of the other expansions, because you started to touch on that, uh, before we kind of leave that, that, though you have kind of uh, almost defensively said a couple of times yeah yeah you know I know that you know, it's kind of autopilot you know in the base set yeah yeah you know I, and, and you can kind of just let play that out you know in the base set and, and I wonder if you know you're kind of sensing where I'm going with this next question, which is, you know, there's a lot of people that have said that, you know, Dominion, the big problem that they have with Dominion is that Dominion is actually played in the five minutes before you start to play. In other words, you know, the game is almost over strategically when it starts because a a Dominion player, you know, someone who's good, someone who's played it quite a bit, um, you know, and and quite a bit can even mean like 10 times when you start to see these things. You know, you're absolutely right. You've mentioned it that you, when you look at that array of 10 cards, you are going to identify two or three or at the outside four cards, but usually it's two or three that are going to be the basis of your deck, and that's what you're going to go for. You might tweak it or adjust it as you just mentioned, but for the most part, your strategic decisions like... It's almost like, okay, here's my plan, and now we're going to see how it all turns out. And the game itself, as far as, okay, I'm going to buy this card, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to buy this one, which is going to let me do this, and then I'm going to just... And it's almost like the real game is before the game. What would you say to that criticism, if you know what I'm talking about there?
1: Well, I mean, a lot of that is... um how are you balancing, you know, as a game, how does it balance luck versus your skill as a player? You know, um, like you said, for a skilled player, they're you're going to most times lose because they've chosen the better strategy out of the, you know, five in the beginning of the game, uh, or at, when they look at those decks of cards. Um, so in some ways, um, that's, Some people would call that a strength, that, you know, hey, the better player's winning, you know, uh, the person with the more experience, they played the better game. Um, As far as uh, what your decision tree, I guess you'd call it, uh, you need to know how you're going to get that engine into... Uh, running smoothly so two players could even pick the same engine the same strategy the same cards let's say I'm playing head-to-head and we both decided to go for a similar engine but it's the player that buys things at the right time that you know set, that looks at hey I've got eight dollars but I would rather buy a village and a mine at this time you know, I think that would help me out better right now. Or, let's say a village and a council room would probably be a better combo. That player who made that decision, the other player just bought his province, and, you know, now he's got something that's slowing him down. You know, he's got, uh, he, he moved too soon. He he, he pushed for that uh, end game too soon. His engine petered out while the other engine was running smooth to the end of, uh, end of the game. So there is some skill, even during the game, to keeping that strategy, to playing it um, properly, to, um, to making it work. And that's going to be, there's a little bit of card counting in that, there's a little bit of, you know, you know, experience would help, and you're just going to, you need to know what's in your deck, what your deck needs, before it needs it you know and and that's that's going to be some decisions that you're going to have to make and like i said it's 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 very hard to not buy that province when you're looking at eight dollars you know that's a decision that's sometimes tough to talk yourself out of you know and like i said as i uh, when i introduced the game I, I i tell people that's how you should play it and but you need to move past that and maybe that's a conversation that not too many people have that you know, you have to look at what else I can do on my turn, uh, to, to play better, to be a better player. Right.
0: Right. Well, you know, you mentioned that tipping point, uh, which is something that I think is very important in Dominion, you know, that, that time when, you go from building your engine, and I, I don't want to confuse people and think that we're just talking about that 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 engine strategy. It could be any of them. Uh, you know, you could have you could be building a money deck, and that's your engine per se. You know, I'm going to get as much uh, money in my hand as I can. Uh, I'm going to shed uh, some of this worthless copper if I can. Uh, I'm just going to get myself, you know, with a bunch of of silvers and golds, and then. I'm gonna turn the switch, right? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna flip the switch. I'm gonna let the engine run, and what I mean by that is I'm gonna start grabbing victory point cards, and that to me is one of the, you know, as you just intimated, one of the uh, crucial sort of tactical decisions during the course of the game, which is when do you, when do you just turn it loose, let it run, and then kind of see what happens. And so, in, in some ways, uh, you know, I asked you that question because. Uh, you know, in my experience, I kind of find that that's when the game becomes autopilot for me. So I agree with everything you just said, um, in short, which is that, you know, those little decisions, okay, I have six gold. Do I, you know, I have six coppers, uh, you know, or $6, I should say. Um, do I buy a gold or do I buy, you know, a seller, And, you know, a uh, council room. Or, you know, like, what what do I do? Um, Those decisions that take place while you're constructing your engine, I agree with you, are like really, really important. They can't be overstated. You know, you have your sort of grand strategic vision, which happens at the start of the game when you're looking at the array of the cards. But then you have this sort of engine building part. And there are those kind of crucial decisions. But then there comes a tipping point. And it's either driven by you or driven by someone else. You know, other players start snapping up those victory point cards, and you're like, "Well, I guess it's time now." Uh, and they even have terms for that now. You know, they have like duchy grab and you know all these other sort of terms that that have evolved over the years uh, uh, as Dominion has uh, you know been with us in, in the hobby here. Um, but that's kind of when I find. That I feel like I'm on autopilot is once I kind of flip that switch and say, all right, it's time now, then it just becomes I draw my cards. Do I have eight, you know, or I draw my cards. Do I have five? And it's just about spinning it out and seeing what happens. And I kind of feel like at that point, I'm really kind of running on autopilot and just kind of waiting to see what happens. And I'm, I'm, you know, I've kind of decided over the years that I'm okay with that. You know, that last kind of third of the game, that last quarter of the game, when that happens, um, I don't really have a problem with it. But I understand where the criticism comes from. Um, would you agree that the last part of the game is often on autopilot, or do you think I'm overstating that?
1: Oh, no, no. you. you know, I think you're right on target. Um, but I wouldn't want to make it seem like that's a long part of the game like it's maybe the last three four hands or so something along those lines where you've decided that you know all right i'm just buying points i don't care what they are you know if i have two dollars if i have three dollars two dollars i'm just buying a my uh a one point estate if i can get the five or six i'm not buying any more gold i'm just buying points because the end game is right in front of me you know and i can't I've done everything I can up to this point, but there is still some tension. There is, man. I I'm sitting at six dollars and I've got a moat, so I'm going to drop two cards. I really hope I can get you know that extra two dollars. <laughs> right. And you know you're looking at that last province. Is it going to come back around to you? You know, like ah, you know, like I've got you know. And then if you're keeping a a, a score in your head, like you're. I think I'm really close, but if somebody else grabs that province, that's a pretty big swing at the end of the game, you know, like, like uh, if I'm like one hand behind, you know, or mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. if it makes it back around to me, I'm going to win this, you know, if I because like I said, I'm sitting at six, I need eight, you know, I think I might be able to get it, you know, but, but like I said, so there's still that bit of tension as you're still accumulating points to those last three, you know, four, five hands or whatever, you know, and so yeah, your last ten minutes, yeah, you're probably gonna be on autopilot. You know, maybe I should, I'm probably overstating ten minutes. You know, because you're just uh, you know waiting. You're trying to grab as many points as you can, um, right. and hoping that your strategy worked out. But you know, like I said, it plays really quickly at that level and or at that end game, as everybody's just trying to grab as many points as they can, and you know, push the game to its end collectively.
0: Right. Right. Well, what would you say um, to the people who have criticized Dominion, and I have been one of them um, historically, who say that all of this analysis, all of this, um, I mean, you're talking about people running computer simulations, okay? People who have coded programs to run a deck against another deck. We're talking some fairly hardcore stuff here, okay? As far as sort of like, you know, a a geekdom goes. You know, you're pretty invested in a game if you're writing code to run decks against each other to test different strategies. I think we can agree on that, right? Um, But my, you know, what would you say to the people who say that that kind of kills The fun of the game, you know, that now it becomes this sort of analytical exercise um, rather than, you know, a sort of game that's just designed to be that gateway game that you talk about. Because to me, that's one of the interesting sort of dichotomies of Dominion. On the one hand, it is a brilliant gateway game that you can teach in a really short period of time that you can customize as the experienced player with 10 cards that are going to be very easy to digest very easy for people to understand and you're just going to have fun and you're going to make these crazy chains and it's going to be uh, it's just going to be a blast for everybody to play Um, so on the one hand you have this amazing sort of gateway sort of game that is designed to be fun and infinitely replayable on the other hand You then have this hardcore game that people are running computer simulations to try to become better players or to try to increase the knowledge base of the players that are out there. I don't find too many games that are like that. You know, you you have a game like Antiquity that is never going to be a gateway game. That is never going to be a game that people are just going to sit down and say, "Let's just for giggles play a little, you know, let's play some Antiquity." It's not designed to be that. It is clearly designed to be a gamer's game, hardcore Heavy analysis, resource management. How do you deal with pollution? How do you deal with depletion of resources? Um, how am I going to meet my victory conditions? You know, it, it's a really um, intense kind of game that sort of, you would imagine looking at it is that kind of game. But Dominion has this kind of two sides to it, these two faces. And on one hand, I'd say that's a really great strength. But on the other hand, um, you know, I have played Dominion uh, with people who are, like you, phenomenal at it. And, you know, they kick my butt on a regular basis. And there's something about that that, you know, I look at it and say, oh, that's a cool challenge. And then there's another part of me that says... That's just not all that much fun when you're constantly getting drubbed by somebody else and then they sit back and say, well, you know, I did this and this and I employed this strategy and you can clearly see now how – yeah, 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 you got me. Okay, fine. And I kind of started to sour on Dominion until I started playing it with my kids. And once I started playing it with my kids, I kind of personally – rediscovered the fun sort of side of dominion the discovery side that sort of just joy of playing with different combinations of cards and not worrying so much about how to more efficiently grind my opponent into the dust where i mean where do you stand on that like do you think that all of this hyper analysis has killed some of the fun of the game or do you think that the game can stand up in both
1: venues Oh, I think it does well at all. I think you've described one of the greatest strengths about it is that it has that infinite depth that you can just dig into and, and try to, you know, you can get as deep as you want to go. Um, or, and, you know, you can just play it casually. Because, I mean, there's something that Dominion does that um, just at its basic, you know, on the surface level of playing, it's still fun. You know, like, like I I'm terrible when a, when a new expansion came out or if i'm playing with cards i'm not that familiar with i'm terrible because mostly i want to play with the new things like i want to play with the new shiny cards oh that gives me coins i'll buy one of those you know and then and then i fall into that and it's the worst trap of you know if you want to win dominion games never do this it is the buy one of everything strategy is the worst thing you can do. But <laughs> when I'm playing with a new setup, like I'm not, you know, I'm not that hyper competitive. Uh, so it's just like, Oh, I want to see what that card does. And I want to see what one of those does. And then, you know, I'll try one of those. And if I mix that in there, you know, and I'm just trying to play with the cards because, you know, at its, at its heart, at another, I think, uh, uh, something that Dominion does incredibly well too, is it appealing to gamers, you know, um, as gamers, we do, you know, uh, a main part of our hobby is buying things and playing with them, and that's what you do in Dominion. You buy things and play with them, and I think if you just sit back and you play that and have fun, you can do that. But at the same time, you can dig deep and you can uh, really find some deep strategy, and you know, it can be really rewarding. It can be uh, uh, more complex and harder to figure out than even like something like Puerto Rico. Or, you know, uh, any of these heavy Euros, heavier Euros, especially, again, once you get down deeper into those uh, expansions and the complexity ramps up, you can have a rewarding, complex Euro game experience, or you can sit back, play with the the, the base game with, you know, your parents, you know, anybody who, you know, wants to sit down and play. And like you said, you can play with your kids, and it's all very simple, and you can just have fun you know, trying out new ideas and playing and having fun. So, I mean, it's a bit like, you know, even something like chess where, you know, you could sit and play chess with your kids or you can enter a chess tournament and you can spend, you know, endless hours of your life researching and studying opening moves and studying chess or, you know, you can sit down, like I said, play with your kids or you can go to the park and play speed games, you know, or, you know, whatever it might be. You know, there's just different ways to experience the game. And there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's just, you know, what's good for you and the group of people that you're playing with. So are you
0: are you seriously comparing Dominion to chess? Do you think that there's that much depth in Dominion?
1: Mm, uh, it's a tough question. Um there is a, a ton of depth. I mean, if you looked at all the cards throughout all the expansions, yeah, you might be right about there. You know, I don't know. I, I'm hesitant to say it. I mean, there's a million books on chess and it's, it's been oh, around for to 500 years i'm trying to yes. pin you down jim <laughs> well here here's
0: what i'm here's what i'm thinking because you know as you said it i thought oh that's kind of a bold statement for him to make um but i also agree with a lot of what you're saying there you know that that chess can be approached in a very casual fashion or it can be approached in a very serious studious fashion uh it can be uh approached as a recreational activity or it can be uh approached as almost like a, a sport sport you know that this is this is what I do you know I enter tournaments and whatnot I'm I'm a ranked player you know um you know I I kind of think about it and I wonder if it if it would actually meet the complexity of chess because here's what I think about chess um when I consider the game of chess and, and I'm by no means an expert but when I think about chess you have a complex system of pieces and those pieces all have individual abilities. They have individual ways that they can move that are often unique to them. And you have this confined space in which you must maneuver. And to me, the complexity in chess comes from being able to understand the movement and understand the path that you're going to have to take that's the sort of predicting the moves uh that your opponent's going to make and then your counter moves your follow-ups et cetera, et cetera. but all within this confined space whereas a game like dominion has a ridiculous number of pieces every card is like a different piece the only uh, sort of uh, limiting factor is the fact that you're going to put out 10 cards so it's almost to me as as like there's a little bit of maybe a parallel there and and I'm, I might be reaching for it, and I'm sure there are people who will call me to task if they think that I am. But you know, I, I almost wonder if there's not a a level of complexity that might be comparable because each individual card does something different. Um, and each individual card, Uh, that you're going to put into this array of 10 cards that we all have the ability to use is going to be crucial, but I don't know, Jim, as I'm talking through it, I mean, I'm also thinking about, like, how many times have you looked at a set of kingdom cards, there's 10 cards, and thought to yourself, well, these four are worthless. Like, there's nothing I can do with those, or they they don't work well together, or, nah, this card is much better than that card. Whereas in chess, you don't really have that. Like, you know, a pawn can win you the game. You know, the, it, every piece is really crucially important. Is that maybe where the difference is as I'm talking through this? I'm just kind of curious because the level of complexity that you're describing in Dominion seems to me to be on par with any other great game of high strategy. Um but even as I'm talking through it, I'm wondering if I'm finding holes. What do you have anything to kind of follow up with as we kind of explore this thread?
1: Uh, well, we'll take chess off the table and maybe compare it to something like I don't know, uh, Castles of Burgundy or Race for the Galaxy or something like that. Chess is a very chess is actually very simple to learn to play. It's just a difficult game to play well. Exactly. You know? uh, and I think Dominion has that in common with it. Um, You know, with all the combinations, Uh, yeah, you are right. There is a, you know, you can look at it and look, I'm not going to buy that card. I think, I'll make this statement here, out of the base game, there's a card, in the base game, there's a card called the Chancellor, which lets you um, uh, put your discard pile into your deck and reshuffle it um, uh, to uh, accelerate uh, the cards you just bought and get them out. I don't think I've ever bought one. Like, I've never bought one. My entire playing with it, I just can never figure out what to do with the Chancellor. You know? So I don't know. And it's not that he's overpriced, underpriced. You know, he gives you $2, all this sort of stuff. But um, there is that. Like, But that do just be me. I'm not saying that um, I'm right in that situation. Um, I could be missing, you know, something that a better player will come in and see um, from those, let's say, four cards that I didn't see a combo with, you know, um, uh, and they might hit that, and that could be the best one, or, and there is a bit of luck, too, there is a bit of luck, don't, I just, I don't want to discredit that there is no luck, I mean, you could get lucky and just draw the best cards for the best, you know, whatever you've built, and it just, uh, it works the synergies just work and you're going to luck out and get these amazing card draws every turn and right. you're going to be buying provinces and things like that so there is a bit of that luck but i i think that's something that we look for in games or else we'd all be playing abstracts you know right. yeah. um i i would argue maybe it's been more on par with something like you know maybe um like i said a Puerto Rico, Agricola, something like that, or, or Castles of Burgundy, Notre Dame, anything like that.
0: Okay. All right. Well, you know, I, I, I appreciate you taking the time to, uh, kind of follow me down that little path there. And I I think it's a great idea you know, it's an interesting question that we could maybe uh, put to people who are listening to the show. Maybe, um, you know, they can kind of chime in and say whether or not, you know, they feel uh, that Dominion is a game that could be considered uh, on par with chess, um, you know, or, or, or whether, you know, I'm completely off base with that. So, um, you know, I appreciate you talking uh, through that with me. Um, but let's leave that be for a little while and just agree that there is a lot of um, – opportunities for strategic thinking for tactical decisions there's a lot of variety and there's a lot of study that can be put into the game if you want to become you know a really good player because one of the things you said earlier that sticks in my mind is that it is very true that an experienced dominion player will almost always beat a inexperienced player or a player who's not particularly paying attention to what they're doing. You know, they're playing it in that more social mode. And that usually is an indication of a game that is high in strategic value. Um, You know, it's often been said that if a, you know, quote, better player uh, beats a less experienced player that that must mean that skill is involved and anytime that skill is involved that's when we really start to think that a game is much more strategic and you know it's a game that rewards repeated play and study, as opposed to a game like King of Tokyo, which is much more on the sort of tactical side, uh, luck, kind of, you know, light side of things when it comes to gaming. Um, Let's move, maybe now, Jim, and uh, I'm going to take up your offer uh, where we're going to be talking about these expansions. So we, I think you did an excellent job of sort of explaining uh, the base game and the appeal of the base game, some of the cards and the combos in the base game, the five basic strategies. But what I'd like to do now is maybe kind of like in, in a somewhat rapid fire fashion, let's go through these expansions. And one of the things that I'd like to ask you to do um, is when I kind of tell you an expansion, tell me what you think. Think it added to the base game? Uh, I already kind of hinted at one when we talked about Seaside and I said those duration cards. You know, to me, that was sort of the new thing that was added because in many of these expansions, uh, Donald Vaccarino really seemed to intentionally want to put a new little piece out there. And so I'd be curious what you think the pieces are. And then I'd also like you to tell me how effective you think those new pieces were because I think that's going to really tell us something about really kind of like the quality of these expansions as far as what they bring to the game experience. So uh, if you're game for that, let's give it a shot here. Let's talk about Dominion Intrigue. What would you say that brought to the table?
1: Okay. um, Like I said before, uh, Intrigue introduces primarily, I think, um and these are uh, just more my my opinions more uh less on these games or on these expansions um intrigue brings like uh, more tactical decisions you can look at your car your hand of cards and some of them are going to give you choices um i believe uh it's the pawn it gives you like you can choose all right do i want an action do i want a buy do i want a another card things like that and um so, and there's a bunch of, a couple other cards like that. It also gives you some victory points that do stuff, so I can buy nobles, but nobles also gives me cards when I play it. Um, the harem, which gives me um, uh, money and victory points, so I can still do something with my victory points, uh, and so I'm advancing my game, but still fine-tuning my uh, my deck. Um, and, and that's, uh, there's a lot of value in Intrigue, um, I would say, uh, also the, uh, uh the intrigue lets you play with five and six players, which the game handles fairly well for a casual play, but it's a little harder to see and predict what's going to happen, you know, much like so many other games, the more players you add, the more randomness, the more chaos is going to happen, right. uh, you know, as, you know, you increase your player count, like in a two-on-one one game, you can really see what's going to happen and follow through with your strategy, um, you know, you get up to, f- five and six players and you're just kind of casually having fun, but the game can still be a blast of fun playing and you can really enjoy yourself. Um, so it adds that it adds the, um, like I said, more tactical decisions. That would be like the main theme. I think mechanically is tactical choices.
0: Yeah, I would have to agree with you there, Jim. And, and I haven't really ever thought of it that way. So I appreciate you kind of sharing that idea because you know, I always looked at uh, intrigue as having, uh, more of a sort of an, an attacking kind of feel to it. Uh, you know, there are cards in there like the Torturer and, uh, you know, the just odd things like the Masquerade card, I believe, is in there where, you know, people are going to be passing cards around the table. And uh, I remember you know, not uh, kind of being, having very mixed feelings about intrigue uh, as a set, um, but the more I think about what you say, the more I think that you're right. You know, there are a lot of cards that give choices, and I think one of the things that's interesting about that is uh, because I play Dominion a lot with kids, I don't bring out a lot of those cards because they drag the game down. You know, when you have the cards like you, the ones you're talking about, um, where there's a lot of text and say, well, you know, you can either take an extra action or take an extra buy or take an extra $2 or, you know, et cetera, or, or draw one card. Um, you know, when you're playing with uh, either new gamers or kids, and, and I, I'm not trying to insult, you know, new gamers by saying that they're children, but what I'm saying is. When you're playing with someone who's going to need to read those cards every time they call, you know, kind of play them or put them uh, into their hand, it does slow the game down significantly. But uh, because I've been avoiding those cards, I've kind of missed that. Uh, You know, the, the notion that you bring up that it adds a lot of tactical decisions. You know, you actually have choices there rather than your choice simply ending with the card that you bought. So, Uh, That's a really interesting take on that. Um, Let's move on to Dominion Seaside. Now, I already told you what I thought about it uh, with the duration cards. Uh, What would you have to say about Seaside? What do you think that brings to the experience, and do you think it improves it, or is it extra fluff that we don't need?
1: Uh, Seaside is my favorite expansion. I like Seaside quite a bit. Um, Mostly, and its primary focus was on, like you said, those duration cards. And what this does is gives those... Uh, choices your tactical choices what you're playing it gives them more weight. It makes them last longer So, you know, I'm gonna do something this turn and because I played that card It's gonna come around again. And it's gonna do it again or do I have another benefit the next turn It's gonna give me money now and then it's gonna give me a card when it comes around or something along those lines um, It also introduces uh, some of the uh, gold coins uh, with the uh, pirate ship and that way, you can almost stockpile some money, so you can play, um, and and get a real big buy later on in the game. So when you know you're nearing that end, you can you know burst through and you decide that okay now is when I want to, you know, spend all my money and get you know maybe two provinces this turn or something along those lines. Right. Um, so yeah. So it just gives more weight to your decision. So again, we've gone from you know just your first Dominion as a base game starts with just you know your, your but the weight of it is on your strategic choice. Then you go into Intrigue, where you have tactical choices, and now Seaside is giving you weightier choices. Like, they're, they're going to have more impact.
0: Right. Well, Jim, uh, the next one that I like to kind of talk about is Dominion Prosperity. Uh, this one came out uh, after Dominion Seaside. And uh, really, was a, it was another big-box expansion. So uh, what do you think that one uh, brought to the table? And uh, how do you rate the
1: value of Prosperity? Uh, Prosperity is another really good expansion. Um, the first three, actually, I think um, are almost must-buys. I think everybody should, you know, if, if you love Dominion, just go right through the list. You know, Prosperity um, is another one that's just going to give you more and makes everything bigger. You know, so you've got bigger money, you've got colonies, so that province isn't the biggest thing that you could buy now. So, you um, yeah, you can play bigger games. Um, it also has victory points that don't go in your deck. Again, in the form of these nice metal coin tokens. Uh, that uh, So you can store victory points that aren't affecting your engine. But again, it's all about big. You know, it's got cards that are just bigger versions of what was in the base game or in some of the other expansions as it's gone through. Um, so I think if you want an expansion that doesn't really, let's say, dig deeper into it, just kind of gives you a little bit more cards, but you're not looking at increasing the uh challenge or complexity, Prosperity would be the place to go.
0: Interesting. Okay, so... You're saying that if you really enjoyed Dominion as a, you know, game, uh, you enjoyed the base game, and you just kind of want more of that, you would go with Prosperity, uh, perhaps over Intrigue and Seaside, uh, because if I'm understanding you correctly, you feel that that just adds more and bigger and you know some would say better you know you got platinum now uh of uh what dominion had to offer without offering the extra systems or the extra complexity that intrigue or seaside
1: would be offering yes oh uh, yeah and there might be a few cards in there that um, are going to give you a little bit more as far as the complexity but for the uh, most part it's just it's it's just bigger it's bigger and better you know if you want to advertise it in that direction there we go you know
0: Alright, well thanks for sharing uh, your thoughts about that one. Uh, The next one is one that's a little bit controversial. As a matter of fact, uh, I would say in many ways the next two expansions are the most controversial. Um, And that would be Dominion Alchemy first, uh, followed by Dominion Cornucopia. So, um, what can you tell me about your experience with Alchemy, what you think of Alchemy as an expansion for Dominion? Because that one seems to get some of the heaviest mixed reviews.
1: Um, I think Alchemy, are, I don't, I think like most people, I don't really care for Alchemy because it adds a lot of randomness and adds, um, I feel, some length to the game. Uh, but there are some interesting ideas of uh there an in interest in a new currency uh called potions that you need to buy some of the other cards it has no other value than if you're going to buy uh certain cards um and this uh can create some interesting ideas but i'd like to say alchemy kind of pushes dominion into something where maybe the munchkin card game fan or someone who's like uh likes that take that element Uh, This adds a bit of that where um, you can uh, really get into affecting what another player is going to do and really ruin what they're trying to accomplish. Um, Some people like that type of game, and this is really where you want to go. Whether or not how well it succeeds is going to be up to each person. Alchemy is, I believe, still the lowest rated of the expansions. Yes, I uh, believe so. mostly, Mostly it's just not appealing to what... Dominion really is is that you know strong euro game. This kind of adds, uh, let's call this the Carcassonne the Catapult expansion. You know, <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, uh, yeah,
0: yeah. I think that pretty much says it all. So let's just leave it at that. All right. Um, next up, uh, we had two uh, expansions in 2011. We had Dominion Cornucopia. And Dominion hinterlands, and uh, I want to try and tackle Cornucopia first. Uh, you made a interesting observation earlier, which was the okay. I'll tell you the one thing that doesn't work in Dominion is buy one of everything, um, and Cornucopia had the sort of stated goal of making variety useful in your deck, and making that something that would work for you rather than work against you. Um, what have, you know, first of all, do you agree with that? Secondly, do you think it works? Uh, and thirdly, uh, would you characterize it perhaps in a different way? What would you have to say about uh, Cornucopia?
1: Um, I don't know that I would classify it in that way. I don't really think it, it does that to... I don't know, that extent. I think there's a few cards that do reward you for having a bunch of different cards um, at a turn, but I think Cornucopia is just a random collection of ideas. And I think I've read an article by uh, uh, Mr. Baccarino that said that Cornucopia was his collection of stuff he didn't know what what expansion to put it into. You know, and so he kind of threw all the ideas together. Now, that's not to say I like a lot of what's in Cornucopia. There's the... um, uh, what are they called, I think the tournament cards, where they're, they're like uber powerful, and if you can pull off a certain combo, you can grab these um, uh, really powerful cards and put them into your deck that's going to give you some sort of benefit. Maybe it's too much of a benefit, I'm you know, not quite sure um, how some people are going to feel about that, but you know it still could be fun to try and reach those, uh, kind of gives you like a little mini goal, but that's just one stack of cards throughout the game. Um, it's just, like I said, just a collection of odd ideas but still work and it's still a a fun expansion um but again it's another one of those smaller expansions i don't love it but you know i still love all of the, the mini expansions it's not uh, one of my favorites right up there with the i guess it'd be second to last after a
0: okay all right so it's not uh it's not as bad as the catapult but uh yeah <laughs> you know maybe we're talking like the count of carcassonne or something okay all right um that is actually one in all honesty that i have no experience with i have never had the opportunity to play with any of the cornucopia cards so um you know i definitely uh, appreciate you sharing your thoughts on that because it's something i have no experience with um Okay, let's move along uh, to Hinterlands. Now, uh, Hinterlands is one that I do have some experience with. And uh, Hinterlands added some interesting kind of cards. Um, I think Crossroads is one of the cards. uh, Village Inn. I mean, there, there are these different kinds of cards that came in Hinterlands. And I remember kind of being... Somewhat underwhelmed by the expansion myself, you know. I, you know, when I'm looking at my box of Dominion cards, and it's it's actually the box that you made for me, Jim, um, where you kind of customized an, an insert for me, and I actually have all of my Dominion, you know, Kingdom cards in one box. You know, when I'm flipping through, um, trying to figure out, okay, well, what ten cards would I like to, you know, put out and play with, I find that I I rarely pick. Hinterlands cards and I can't quite put my finger on it. I don't know that there's anything that I, you know, can say like I could with Alchemy. Well, this is why I don't like it. Um and there are some cards that do stand out in my mind that were useful, but I remember kind of just being sort of of all of the Dominion expansions, I was kind of like meh about it. I, I didn't really know, I didn't get that flash that I did with Um, Seaside, you know, oh, look at these duration cards or, you know, prosperity. Oh, wow. Now I can get platinum and colonies and I can do this and that. Uh, It it kind of was just sort of a, it fell flat for me. Um, I've said that enough. So I want to hear what you have to say now uh, about Dominion Hinterlands.
1: Okay. I think Hinterlands is where the game system really starts to push into a deeper game, then maybe people are comfortable with, or maybe you're not comfortable with either. Like those cards can be complex. Like there's paragraphs now written on the cards of what to do when you play this card, and it can have, and it's really difficult to see. Uh, like I said, when you're trying to come up with that early game strategy of okay, what am I going to try and do? Um, the 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 hinterlands cards get. Like I said they add that more complexity where it's really pushing it into. Um, this would be like the expert level expansion. I think the first of the advanced expansions, if you want to call it that, uh, where you know it's hard to see what you what's the best thing to do. It's hard harder to pick the strategy, but it adds that complexity for seasoned gamers. Where if you want to go to that depth, it's there for you. I well, kind of I- call it the Mar- Martin Wallace expansion, <laughs> you know, because. <laughs> you've got your own
0: nicknames for all these and i like them all jim um yeah you know that's really interesting because uh, we're talking about two totally different things you know i I, i'm describing something that you might want to take a pass on and you're describing something that would be very valuable um it sounds as though you rate this expansion rather highly
1: yes oh yeah i like it quite a bit um i said it's it's harder to get it to the table because, you know, it's not going to be as casual friendly. Those cards are have that difficulty built into them that, you know, you're not going to show this to the non-gamer because they're going to sit there for five minutes trying to figure out what that card does. You know, and it can be, you know, quite the, the brain teaser just trying to figure out how to play the card and what it actually does as opposed to how best to play that card.
0: Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, maybe I need to give that another look then. Um, Maybe I've been playing Dominion too long with my kids and uh, (laughs) I'll need to play it again with some uh, adults sometime soon and uh, explore some of those Hinterlands cards. So um, that definitely piques my interest. All right. Um, moving on here uh, we're, we're getting close to the end believe it or not um, because we're not going to discuss the promo cards no 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 I refuse to discuss the promo cards alright we are going to be going to Dominion Dark Ages um This was a very interesting expansion, but rather than me tell you what I think, especially since I kind of feel like you disproved everything I said just a minute ago with Hinterlands, I'm going to let you go first so that I can appear very smart and say, ah, yes, I agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) All
1: right. um, Like I called Hinterlands the Martin Wallace expansion, I called Dark Ages the Stefan Feld expansion. That's because... (laughs) That's because the game hates you and it wants you to lose now. (laughs) It starts you in a hole that you have to try and dig out of. Like, it actually... Uh, increases that difficulty just to succeed, and it's got traps in the cards, like like the Notorious Rats card. That's kind of where I got the Stefan Feld thing, was like the rats in Notre Dame, and now uh, the rats in this game, where if you buy rats and then you play rats, you get more rats, which destroys your whole deck, so you have to be very careful about, you know, balancing it, because and that's kind of a trap that you could just fall into, and then it starts out with these... um, uh, uh, cards you no longer have that those three points that you used to have at the beginning of the old game yeah that's all gone now you have cards that do basically nothing and uh, you have to try and just dig your way out of this hole and again there's a lot of complexity there there's also ruined cars a lot of attacking as you know it's it's almost like a it's like it it's described dark ages it's a desperate time and you're trying to um survive uh, oftentimes at the expense of others. So there's a lot of neat stuff. Um, I think uh, one of the key um, ideas of the game was powers when trashing. So when you trash a card, get rid of a card, it will give you something that you can do and uh, some sort of benefit for when you trash a card. And then it does a, it goes out of its way to give you cards that you're going to want to trash. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, you need to have something that you want to trash. Um, yeah, I I find I'm in agreement with most of what you say. Um, you know, I found some of the... One of the things that I found interesting about Dark Ages were there were certain... Kingdom decks that were almost like sub decks you know you had uh, the knights and you had what was the, the the hermit uh was it the hermit deck that was in there where you had like different cards within the kingdom cards uh, am I remembering that correctly Jim
1: I'm trying to remember, I think it's is I think it's the hermit that turns into a madman yes and then the madman yeah. can give you some sort of benefit um I can't recall the actual wording of the card right now, but I believe it might have done something bad at some point as well. So it's like another one of those death spirals you can kind of find yourself into. Right. But, you know, if you dig at it and you get the right combos, they could really work for you. So it is something that you need to uh, consider. Um, But, like I said, I I thought that was a pretty neat expansion. Again, a pretty complex expansion. Um, you're you're almost fighting the game just to try and survive it. Right. And uh, it, it, it's for, again, for the advanced players, I guess.
0: Yeah, and, and to me, I think the only thing that I would add to what you said is that to me, uh, in many ways, uh, the Dark Ages expansion for Dominion is probably the most thematic of the expansions. You know, when I'm playing it, I really do feel, as you said, as though I'm trying to dig myself out of a hole. You know, I feel uh, pressured. I feel the kind of poverty. I feel, um, you know, this the sort of hopelessness that comes over you as your deck becomes overrun with ruins. Or, you know, you're, you you get the plague of rats that you described earlier. Um so I really kind of feel that it's it to me. It's almost like a thematic kind of dominion. It's almost like you know Donald Vaccarino was trying to take dominion and take it a little bit out of the sort of Euro mechanical kind of feel that the game has. And I'm not claiming that none of the cards are thematic from earlier sets. I mean, I, you know, I understand, you know, um, that they they do things that um, are thematic, you know, uh, uh, cards like the Watchtower springs to mind and things like that. Uh, there's definitely some theme to some of the cards, right? However, uh, I really felt that Dark Ages was almost an attempt to kind of like uh, uh, kind of make almost a sub game of Dominion it's like okay here's Dominion this is what we've always done and now there's like this whole little separate experience now in Dominion Dark Ages that almost makes it feel like a thematic game um, does any of that ring kind of true with
1: you or no um, I would say, like, yeah, you get that feeling, but I think there's, uh, you could argue that there's that feeling can transfer through to, uh, even the Dominion game- base game. Um, you're building a, a, medieval kingdom, um, and that's just, uh, shown by building your deck. Um, uh, like I said, Dominion at its heart though is an uh, a euro game, and I think it's got just as much the mat theme. It's almost pretty much the same theme as Castles of Burgundy, say. You know, where you've got your little kingdom, you got your, you know, you're gonna, but you're going to populate it with castles, villages, cards, whatever. It's just that your deck is your kingdom. So, the act of playing the game is building something, which is the theme of the game. So, in that way, it does work, and uh, I think what you're feeling in Dark Ages is exactly what the designer wanted you to feel, which was, you know, you're, I'm going to, you're way below where you should be, you know, now try to just dig your hole, dig out of the hole, you know?
0: Right, right. And
1: it does, I think it does work. I think you're on, that is a a good point.
0: Yeah, I, you know, and I I guess I agree, you're agreeing with me, but I'm disagreeing with you. You know, like, I, I don't know that I would ever say that I feel dominion is thematic. I don't feel that I never feel like I'm trying to build up a, you know, a kingdom. Um, Oh, look, you know, I've, I've found another village and that village allows me to uh, see two new cards, which is walking down the road to find a smithy, you know, like I, there's no theme there and. That that I can really feel, and you know, you comparing it to Castles of Burgundy. I mean, geez, that game has no theme either. I mean, that's just really a mechanical game. Um, you know, you're you're actually putting tiles on your map that represent special abilities that have nothing to do with anything. So, um, And, yeah, I'm not it's, trying to and g- it's very
1: similar to that idea. I'm, yeah, yeah. That's all I'm It's, it's like, definitely... It's a... like so many Euro games, Glory to Rome, yeah, you know, Race yeah. for the Galaxy, San Juan. Right. You're playing cards to do actions. Like, I even... I mean... You know, it doesn't matter. I know it's a smithy. I know it draws three cards. I don't know why. You know, right?
0: Exactly. Right. You know? Yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, you know, but 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 Dark Ages to me almost feels um, more. I guess what I'd have to say is I I almost feel like it it presents a coherent kind of story. A lot of the cards really sort of for me work together you know it's a dark place where there's a lot of poverty a lot of difficulty a lot of the world is in ruins there's weird cultists running around (laughs) there's all this strange things kind of happening and you know uh it it all kind of works for me i guess what i'm trying to say is maybe i feel that dominion dark ages is, is um the cards are all much more interrelated than they are in other expansions um you know, I, I think about uh, maybe Seaside as the second one that I would point to that I feel kind of offers a coherent package. You know, you have the pirate ship, you have, uh, I think, treasure map that's in there, you have the island uh, card and the island board, you know, you, all of these kind of things. You have the wharf, you know, the ship comes in and, you know, it stays there. And as it's unloading, you're going to be getting this benefit every turn and... Um, you know I kind of feel that that one kind of provides a, a sort of a coherent sort of uh, a grouping of cards in comparison to something like um Dominion intrigue or the base set which to me are kind of much more transparently mechanical does that make any sense
1: oh yeah I think I, I see what you're saying um, the 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 theme of it actually does like I said just that theme of being in the dark ages and having to You know, advance your kingdom just to try and survive is kind of what the Dark Ages expansion is all about. And that does come through maybe. Yeah, you're probably right. Stronger than uh, some of the other ones. Not just a mechanical boost, but a uh, emotional struggle, say, you know, because the game is making you struggle. Right.
0: Uh, The last one that we want to talk about real quick here, Jim, um, because we kind of got off into the theme tangent there, which is uh, always an interesting conversation. But uh, to try and stay focused here to the very end, we're looking at Dominion Guilds. Uh, What do you think about that expansion, and what do you think that offers or adds?
1: I really like this last expansion. I thought Guilds was really neat. Um, And I think it it got maybe people kind of done with it, or maybe like they tried Hinterlands and Dark Ages, and it was a little... Uh, Not what they were looking for. But Guilds is really good because what Guilds does is it introduces this idea of uh, an economy that you can have. Almost like a bank of as you buy stuff you're going to gain coins and you can just spend those coins on your turn. So now when you're at $7 and you can't buy that province, I've got a coin in my reserve. And I can play that, you know, uh, and that will help me... uh, you know, get what I need, and I can just build this economy of playing cards and putting coins in my bank, and then spending. And you know, as you buy things, you're gaining coins and different things as are happening in that way. And I thought guilds was a really good expansion.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you. Um, I really enjoyed the sort of tradesperson kind of theme of guilds. You know, with literally the butcher, the baker, the candlestick baker. Um, yeah, I, I really liked the way. Those mini economies that you 're talking about, you could kind of uh, uh, get them up and running, so it was almost like you had an a, a little economy within the engine of the cards that you were building, so you had sort of two things going on at once. It kind of made me feel like I was kind of uh, working in tandem, you know that there were multiple things happening now, and not just this sort of linear progression of, you know, I'm going to do this, which is going to allow me to do this, which is going to get me this. Uh, In guilds, I kind of felt like, all right, I'm getting these cards because of these sort of strategic considerations, but in addition, I also, in addition to building that engine, I have this little engine. It's like a little supercharger that sits on top of the engine um, and is going to give me... That little extra boost, uh, especially in my economy, at crucial times when I need it during the game. So I found it to be a really fun expansion and one that I enjoyed quite a bit as well. So, uh, you know, I appreciate you taking the time to go through all of these expansions with me and, um, you know, really kind of taking a look at what they add, what they offer, um, how successful they are, uh, at least in our opinions, and also some of the, you know, a little bit of exploration of the thematic sort of tie-ins perhaps that Dominion may or may not have. Uh, that would be something else I think would be an interesting conversation to, you know, continue uh, perhaps on the Guild or, or on the uh, uh, posting page for this particular episode on Board Game Geek. That would be fun to have people chime in and tell us whether or not they feel that Dominion is more thematic, perhaps, than we're giving it credit for. Um, Before we go, Jim, um, you know, we've talked a lot about this game so far. Uh, We've dug into some of the strategy. We've dug into some of the resources that you mentioned online for people who are really interested in the game. Uh, I want to just kind of briefly, if that's even possible, Talk about the effect of Dominion. Uh, You and I have talked about this personally quite a bit of, you know, the sort of spinoffs, you know, everything that has happened since Dominion. Um, You know, going all the way back to, I kind of feel like the first true Dominion sort of spinoff, which was the first episode of this podcast, which was you on the show with me as we talked about Thunderstone. And... There have been so many other games that have come since then, and I'm kind of just curious what you think the place of Dominion is in the sort of modern board gaming industry history, and... What you think about all of the different spin-offs and how you would characterize them. Are they just cheap clones? Are they evolving the hobby? Uh, are they uh, evolving, not so much the hobby, but are they evolving the, the mechanic of the deck building that Donald Vaccarino sort of invented? Um, what would you say about all of that? Future Jeff here. We are going to call that a little bit of a teaser, and uh, Jim and I decided to do this uh, as we started to talk. Uh, after about 45 minutes, we realized we had barely scratched the surface of all of the games that have come since Dominion, uh, both uh, you know really successful ones and ones that maybe had missed the mark, and we kind of got to talking about it and said, you know what? Uh, There's not really enough time in this episode about Dominion for us to talk about Dominion's family tree, if you want to call it that. So what we decided to do was we're going to leave this episode uh, off where we are uh, with an examination of the game Dominion and all of its released expansions, and we're going to actually get together again and do another episode talking about the sort of lineage of Dominion and all of the games that it has inspired and all of the games that have uh, followed it. And uh, this is going to easily be another uh, probably two-hour episode talking about all of these games. So... I don't mean to disappoint, uh, and I hope you don't mind uh, this little uh, tease where I cut this, um, but uh, as the night was going on, uh, we were uh, getting past midnight, and we were still uh, talking and talking about all of these different games, and uh, I, I kind of made the decision with Jim that I think it would be better if we did this as a new separate episode, uh, and this is also something that people had suggested on the Guild as well, which is uh, you know looking at designers, uh, which I've never... Uh, now managed to do a couple of times, uh, once with Oliver Kiley and once with uh, Tom Lehman, Um, but also looking at sort of game families or mechanics or uh, something of that nature. And so I think Dominion really lends itself uh, to being perhaps the the first in that series here from the long view. So uh, we're going to move on now to our new game review segment and stay tuned uh, for the uh, future episode that will be posted uh, that will be the lineage of Dominion. So thanks for listening and now it's time for a new game review join us for a quick look here on the long view So today on The Long View we're going to be taking a look at two games. Uh, the first one that we're going to take a look at is a game called Galactic Strike Force. This is from Greater Than Games, uh, designed by Christopher Badell and Paul Bender, uh, with art direction by Adam Rabotaro. So, um, this is a, a new game from the people who brought us Sentinels of the Multiverse. So. For those of you out there who enjoy that game, uh, this is a a game that shares a lot of similarities with it. In some ways, I kind of feel like uh, I agree with Joel Eddy, who did a review for this game. You should definitely check that one out as well, where he kind of uh, uh, almost talks about this as a Sentinels of the Multiverse 2.0. In other words, it takes a lot of the ideas from Sentinels, and it actually uh, kind of tweaks them a little bit and changes them a bit, but it also uh, maybe even perhaps improves on on those ideas as well. So in this game, uh, you are going to be trying to save the galaxy from some sort of an invading horde of of aliens or, or something of that nature, but you're not really playing on a sort of a grand space opera scale. You're not playing as like the space marines. Uh, you're playing as people who would be smugglers or pirates or uh, bounty hunters or merchants who have kind of banded together, uh, you know, not just to save the galaxy, but to preserve their own way of life, right? And you're trying to kind of hold off these invaders so uh, the game comes with these sector boards that you're going to put out in the middle of the table and this is going to represent the area of space that's kind of being contested each player is actually going to be playing sort of like the captain of a ship so there are also uh, these cards that are these unique spaceships and each spaceship has its own deck each of these decks is unique, much like they are in Sentinels, and they're going to give you some sort of basic abilities, basic powers that you're going to be able to use during the game. However, unlike Sentinels, where the deck kind of comes pre-constructed, where you have like this deck of 40 cards, uh, you actually only have a deck, a very small deck of eight cards, and this is all that you start with. Um, However... The sectors that you're going to be trying to defend are also populated and there's all kinds of technology and equipment and things that you can take Uh, during the course of the game so that you can upgrade your ship and give your ship more abilities, more powers, um, etc, etc. So over the course of the game, you're going to be actually building your deck, which is a departure from Sentinels where you basically have a preset deck. And as you build your deck through acquiring cards from the various sectors that are in play, your ship is going to become more powerful, it's going to have more abilities, and you're going to be better equipped to be able to try to hold off these invaders. So That's kind of like the goal of the game here. So win the game by holding off the invaders, keeping uh, the sectors of space from being overrun, and a sector of space can be overrun when there are too many uh, cards that are going to be discarded or scrapped by the invading aliens on any given turn. Um, and there's a couple other conditions that, where a sector can be overrun as well. But basically when a sector is overrun, it's now going to be kind of like a dead sector. Um, and if you have that happen to you, um, you, you can lose the game that way. So this is one of the things that you have to try to avoid. So how you avoid it is by sending your ship to those sectors to do battle and engage with the aliens because you don't ever want the uh, aliens to be too numerous in a sector. Um, Generally, when you let that happen... Uh, what is going to transpire is much like in pandemic where if you leave an area kind of alone for too long and let that disease build up, it's eventually going to outbreak and trigger and you know an epidemic where it's going to spread. Um, same thing here. if you leave a sector alone for too long, uh, every turn of the game, there's going to be new alien spaceships are going to be coming to that sector and new things are going to be happening and eventually you know it's going to be overrun. so you can't allow that to happen. However, Um, there's often too many ships, too many sectors for you to deal with. So you have to prioritize them and you have to kind of figure out, all right, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? So there's a lot of decisions to be made there as well. So you have decisions to be made in how to build your deck. You have decisions to be made with the other people at the table about, well, how are we going to approach these different sectors? Um, And so, Right there, you have a a rather engaging kind of game. Um, However, what really kind of pushes this over uh, the top, at least for me, is that uh, individualized deck construction um, as you kind of custom create your ship on the fly and the relentless pressure of the aliens. I got to tell you, this is not an easy game to win. This is not an easy one to beat Uh, because not only do you have these ships that are coming into the sectors, but um, each of the sort of aliens alien invaders is also going to have what's called this kind of plot deck this strategy deck and there's going to be instructions on those cards that are going to be revealed on a regular basis throughout the game and it's going to tell you uh, certain things that happen so it may involve adding extra ships. It may involve uh, some sort of damage to your ship. It may, uh, most likely, it often involves uh, taking things away from the sector boards um, and and depleting them and taking things away from you. So you thought you were about to get this awesome upgrade. Uh, however, you can't because during you know that phase of the game when the aliens are kind of active and engaged, called the aftermath phase, most of the time, uh, what's going to happen is they're going to be stripping resources from the sectors. So Um, you really have to kind of be careful. There's a a nice kind of a story that's told. For example, there's one of the alien invaders are kind of like these uh, almost like Borg-like kind of creatures where their whole deal is they want to grab tech. They want to grab tech, any amount of technology that they can find. And so if you leave them unchecked, a lot of times what they're going to do is... Every one of those sectors where they're present, they're going to be stripping technology cards from the sectors. Well, those technology cards are often exactly what you want. So they're kind of... Uh, you know, omnivores, just taking everything in and taking it from you just as you were about to use it, making themselves um, stronger as time goes by and limiting your options. So each of these different kind of alien races that come in the game present different challenges, just like they do in Sentinels, where each of the different villains presents a different challenge as well. So all in all, what you have here is an extremely engaging game that takes place um in you know this wonderful kind of a space setting and it takes place over uh, five different phases every turn so uh, real quickly I'll just kind of go over those so you have what's called the travel phase where you begin the game and that's where you can take your ship and you can move it into any sector that you wish so it's not necessarily just an adjacent sector you can go to any sector and that's kind of nice Then you have what's called the requisition phase. And this is because every card that you have in your hand has a monetary value. And you don't have to discard them, which is kind of nice. You just look at how much money you have in your hand. And that's what you can spend on upgrades in the sector where you happen to be located. So sometimes that is a crucial decision. Am I going to go to this sector during the travel phase because I need to fight off aliens? Or am I going to go to this sector during the travel phase because I really want to grab these cards that are going to really improve my ship? And so that can be kind of an interesting um, decision to make, and it also can lead to some really interesting tension with the people you're playing with, because they might be depending on you to go to, you know, this sector to go and help them fight off, you know, these uh, these ships that are starting to accumulate, and you're like, mm, well, I could, but. Yeah, I think I'd rather go here and get this, you know, hidden missile bay. I think that would be a lot better. And you know, people are like, "What are you doing?" you know, and then they accuse you of being selfish. And that's when you remind them, "Hey, I'm not a space marine, man." I'm a smuggler, or I'm a pirate, and this is what I do. So it's kind of neat. It's it's this kind of thematic way to explain why you might not always work together real well. And so I kind of like that they bake that into the game. So in the requisition phase, you're going to be able to spend the money that's in your hand in order to purchase cards, and those cards uh, are going to go in your discard pile. Um, there are some exceptions to that. There are cards, for example, that you can play out of your hand during the requisition phase that will allow you to put cards. You purchased, you know, right into your hand or on top of your draw pile, etc. But for the most part, like any other deck builder, they're gonna go in your discard pile. Then you're going to move to the installation phase, and this is where you're going to be able to take cards out of your hand, technology cards and and upgrades and things that you've purchased, and you're going to be able to add them to your ship. And as you add them to your ship, they're generally going to improve either your offensive firepower or your defensive ability. And sometimes there's a kind of a give and take. Uh, A lot of the techs will say, you know, uh, you're going to, you know, lose Um, a little bit of a defensive ability in order to gain this offensive ability. So that's during the installation phase. After the installation phase, you're then going to have what's called the battle phase. And this is where you're going to actually engage the ships that are in the sector where you are. And this is where you're going to then resolve combat. Combat is quite simple to resolve because all that it involves is you're going to simultaneously compare your offensive firepower and defense with the alien ships offensive firepower and defense and you're gonna compare those numbers and you're gonna find out what the results are for every point of offensive firepower that you know you score um, that you're going to be subtracting from their defense and they're going to do the same thing to you so you're going to kind of smack each other around a little bit and if you ever get to a point where either your ship or their ship is completely stripped of both defensive fire and offensive fire they're going to be out, okay? So for you, you're going to flip your, your uh, ship over, kind of like you do in Sentinels, and you are now what they call grounded. Or uh, if it's an alien ship, it's going to be discarded because it's been destroyed. When you destroy an alien ship, often there's a bounty that goes along with it, which is nice as well. It's going to give you some sort of a bonus. Um, but sometimes they're not. But the fact of the matter is is that you've reduced the numbers in that sector, and that's really going to be helping you win ultimately. So after the battle phase, then you have the aftermath phase, and this is where you are going to take care of sort of cleanup actions. All right, anything you know after that sort of uh, sector uh, confrontation, the battles, you're going to sort of have a, a cleanup phase here. And this is where you're going to have some interesting things happen. Uh, Usually this is where um, new cards are going to be revealed from the strategy deck of the alien invader. Uh, This is where you're going to be able to play some cards or utilize some effects of some technologies that you've put into play that are going to, you know, perhaps regenerate some of your defense or or do some things for you. And uh, this is really kind of the end of the turn, and you're going to go right back to that travel phase. So... As an overview to the game, you have these five different phases you're going to move through, and you're going to keep doing this over and over until either you're successful because you've repelled the invaders or because you know you have been overwhelmed and overrun and the galaxy is lost so uh, a lot of really engaging decisions Um, you know when do you play cards from your hand you know you have these cards that are called boosts that you can play at any time during the appropriate phase try to help you out get you out of a jam you have your technologies All of these things are really kind of crucial decisions that you have to make, and how well you work together and the decisions that you make as a group also have an impact. So the game really is quite rich and complex, and it offers a lot of interesting decision points, which is, you know, the kind of thing that I've come to expect from Greater Than Games, uh, and it shares that in common with Sentinels of the Multiverse. So uh, a really engaging game. Now, um... I, I do feel that, you know, uh, as a reviewer, I also have to kind of tell you the things that maybe I didn't like so much about, it, or the things that I could see as a problem. And right off the bat, I'm going to tell you that this game is extremely text-heavy. There's a lot of text to be read. There's a lot of text to be digested. Because as cards come into play, whether they're on your own ship, or whether they're, um, you know, enemy sort of ships, or enemy sort of plot cards, or strategy cards, you um, They're going to have different effects during different phases of every round, and so to try to keep track of that is extremely difficult. It's not the easiest thing in the world, and this also is something it shares in common with Sentinels. Sentinels also can be quite text-heavy, and for a person who has never played Sentinels of the Multiverse, it is one of those games where... Over time, as you learn the cards, the game gets quicker and faster and easier for you to play. Well, the exact same thing here happens with Galactic Strike Force. Um, you know, the first time that I played it, I missed some rules. Uh, we missed, you know, we, we would kind of look back and say, oh gosh, we totally forgot that during the battle phase we're supposed to do this. Or, uh-oh, wait, you know, that strategy card said we're supposed to do this for the aliens in the travel phase. Shoot, we missed it. And so... It is difficult the first player to. If you keep up with it, though, it's going to become easier, just like Sentinels does. You know, as you learn a deck for a superhero, it gets a lot easier. You start to really understand and know, and you're able to predict, and, and it makes the game flow a lot faster. Same thing here with Galactic Strike Force. You're going to get that reward for the repeated play as you learn your deck, as you learn your ship, as you learn the aliens and what they do. Now, I I will say, though, that the text is really intensive in this game. So if you don't like that, that's going to be probably a little bit of a red flag for you, and you're going to have to think about it. However, I will share something that I saw on the forums for Board Game Geek for this uh, particular game that I thought was brilliant. And I will tell you that it really helped us a huge amount and turned this sort of problem that I have with the game into something much more manageable. And basically what this person suggested, I forget who they were, unfortunately, um, is they said, you know what? Just use little pawns, use little pieces to show on the cards what phase those cards have text that is relevant and so this really um, makes this much more manageable Um, what it does is it allows you to kind of visually scan the whole play area and say okay it's the installation phase Uh, I'm going to look for every card that has a green cube on it and for every green cube that I see I'm now going to kind of take that and look at the card and read it and it's going to really help us with the sort of bookkeeping part of the game and i found that to be an enormously helpful suggestion for this game and would even suggest to greater than games if they could include like little cubes or something like that something that sits up on the card something that you can see it would be really helpful and probably a great idea Um, i know it helped us tremendously and so Basically, all I did was I kind of uh, got some cubes that I had sitting around from older games and whatnot and uh, put them right in the box. And now every time I play, I use those. So if the text is a little intimidating, if trying to remember when you're going to use certain effects on certain cards is going to be a little uh, daunting for you, this little pawn or cube idea is a brilliant one that is going to help with that tremendously. So if you want a, a cooperative game, that offers a variety of experiences a huge amount of replayability right in the box if you want a game with this kind of space theme where you really do feel like you're trying to hold off a huge wave of these you know alien invaders if you want that feeling of desperation Galactic Strike Force is a great game. And, you know, I can tell that they are uh, ready to uh, start putting out more and more expansions. The base game box is clearly designed so that you can put more stuff in it later. And I also have to say that the price point on this game is right in line with what I would expect and what I would want. I actually think it's, it's quite a good value. Um, you know, when I look at what it's going for at, you know, CSI or, uh, you know, Game Surplus or, or different online retailers, it's very reasonably priced and the artwork is gorgeous. The game is engaging. The rules are very well laid out, um, but it just takes a little while to kind of wrap your head around all the different phases and when those cards are going to take effect. But those of you who are veterans of Sentinels already know this, and you're not going to be bothered by it at all. And because you actually have the chance to sort of build your deck, I actually think I may end up preferring this. Uh, it's a little too early for me to tell, but for right now, I have a feeling that I might end up actually preferring this to Sentinels of the Multiverse. So that's Galactic Strike Force, a cooperative deck-building game for two to six players from Greater Than Games. Definitely worth checking out. that I want to take a little bit of time talking about is a game called Dungeon Dice. Uh, This is a game that came out a little while ago. It was a Kickstarter game and it was a game that I did not originally back. Uh, A friend of mine uh, who's been on the show before, uh, Lloyd Keller, he actually had backed it Now this is a game that is produced by Potluck Games. Uh, It is a game that is designed for two to four players, uh, designed by Sam Coates with art by Cam Kendall. Um, This is a dice game. Uh, The entire game is uh, basically dice. You have bags of dice. And uh, In many ways, I think I can sum up my review of this game with kind of one statement. This is, to me, the game that Dungeon Roll wanted to be. Um, Dungeon Roll is is a game that I got a while back. Uh, My son and I enjoyed it. Um, it, But much of the game seemed to be a little bit on sort of autopilot. Uh, There were a lot of decisions that were kind of fairly obvious. And this game actually goes much beyond that. So in Dungeon Dice, what you have is a sort of competitive, cooperative game. Uh, This is a game in which you can help each other, but you don't have to, and each of you is going to be just a hero. Uh, Unlike Dungeon Roll, which does give you these sort of different classes that you could be. You could be a thief, or you could be a fighter, or you could be whatever. um, Dungeon Dice doesn't have that, but what it does have is you're going to start off with a a grouping of dice, and that's going to certainly kind of give you that feel for a particular type of character or character class, and I'll explain that. So, when you start the game, you're going to get uh, one black die, which is your level die, and it has the numbers one through six on it, and that's to indicate your sort of level of experience, right? This is going to rotate every time you successfully uh, attack and defeat a monster. So as the game goes on, you're going to be leveling up. If you ever get to level six, you're actually going to be kind of earning a point towards winning the game as well. So that's another important sort of thing that's baked right into the game, because sometimes you may may come across monsters that are either maybe you know a little too powerful for you to attack or you might consider too weak uh, to waste your time on but hey every time you engage in combat uh, you're going to be able to level up and if you get to level six it's going to give you one of the four points you need to actually win the game so uh, it encourages you right there to take risks Um, dungeon roll uh, many times when I played that game um you know, you, you would kind of keep going uh, from level to level of the dungeon until it became very obvious that you shouldn't go any further because you just don't have the dice. You don't have the dice to even mathematically really successfully um, have a chance at going any further, so you just stop. Well, that's not in this game. In Dungeon Dice, you actually are encouraged to go after creatures that might be a little too powerful for you or might be uh, considered a waste of your time because of this leveling mechanism. In addition, you're never going to be depleting your dice. In Dungeon Roll, as you go through your uh, encounters, you're actually losing dice. They have to go to the graveyard, okay? Okay. But in this game, in Dungeon Roll, you don't lose your dice. The the dice that you have are representing your equipment. So let's get back to the setup. So you start with this level die, and you also start with one green die. And this green die represents your basic inherent combat strength and value. And that's going to have numbers on it from 1 to 4. Okay. You also then are going to get uh, two blue dice. And the blue dice are dice that come from a treasure bag. And that's going to be equipment for you. So you're going to start off with some equipment. And this is where some of that kind of class differentiation feel starts to creep in. Because, you know, you might draw uh, a bow and a, uh, you know, key, which represents kind of like thieves' tools that you can use to open up locks and chests and things that you might find, right? So that's going to kind of, like, give you a certain feel. You might end up with, you know, a spear. um, Um, and some armor okay so you know now you kind of imagine yourself differently or you might end up with like a huge hammer a two-handed hammer or a two-handed axe right and that's going to give you a different feel Um, and these dice are all going to have different values on on them depending on the quality of the equipment and this is another really interesting kind of uh, difference between uh, dungeon roll and dungeon dice um, in dungeon dice your equipment comes in three different grades so it comes in sort of a rusty grade okay which is going to have inferior numbers on the dice maybe it only has ones and twos and threes it's not really powerful or it's going to come in sort of a standard grade and that's going to have like you know perhaps only one one on the die and twos threes and fours or it might come in a superior craftsmanship grade almost like a purple kind of coloration to the die um, the the uh, in you know the etched part of the die and that's going to be a superior quality which is going to give you better value so Uh, this kind of gradation of the equipment also is a really nifty kind of a part of the game. So um, you're going to start off with those two dice, whatever you draw from this nice uh, bag that uh, the dice come in. And then you're also going to pull two dice from this red bag. And in that red bag, you kind of have your spells. So you might end up with scrolls. You might end up with keys. You might end up with uh, dice with little hearts on them, which are going to help you heal. So you're going to start off with a base set of dice. Now, on your turn, very simply, all that you're going to do is you're going to reach into yet another bag. Uh, This is a black bag, and you're going to pull out a monster, okay? You're going to pull out a random monster, and you're going to roll it. Now, when you roll that die, um, it's going to give you a result, and the result is going to be that monster... Um, and that monster comes in different strengths, and depending on the face that you roll, you might be dealing with sort of a weaker version of that monster, or a really, really powerful version of that monster. It's going to be difficult for you to defeat. In addition, a lot of the monsters have some sort of a treasure icon on them, a treasure chest um, that's either going to give you a treasure from the blue equipment bag. So you find, uh, you know, maybe a sword in their in their possession in their treasure trove after you've you know defeated them, or perhaps you might find a gold treasure okay and gold treasures come from a different bag and these are like really powerful weapons and equipment that are going to give you some extra abilities you know uh, my son's favorite is the fireball sword you know this is a sword that when you roll it um it also has a small fireball symbol on it and boy you know that that is like a flaming sword you're going to use against your opponent so your imagination starts to kick in here as you start to accumulate this equipment which is one of the things that makes it a lot of fun um So if you happen to roll the treasure on the monster die, guess what? The monster is off. You hear it maybe in the tunnels distantly growling or whatever somewhere, but they've left their loot unattended. You just grab it. Um, If it's a gold treasure, you need a key, but otherwise you're going to be fine. You just kind of take it, and your turn's over. Now, did you gain experience from it? No. Did you uh, level up? No. So... It's really interesting because early in the game, a lot of times you love finding that unprotected treasure, but later in the game you're like, oh man, I needed to fight something. you know. Um, you know Paul over there is about to win, and if I don't fight a monster and I don't level up, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose. I'm, I'm going to be out of this. So there's that tension when you roll that die. Um, there's a tension when you see what it is you're going to be fighting. It's like, am I going to get the version that I can actually maybe handle, or am I going to end up facing something that I'm going to have to run away from? Uh, because running away is an option, just like it is in, in uh, Dungeon Roll. You can run away, but your turn's over, and you're not going to gain any experience. You're not going to gain any treasure, but you will live to fight another day. So, On your turn, you're going to pick one of those dice out of the black bag. You're going to roll it, and you're going to take a look and see what it is you're going to be facing. Now, there's all sorts of other things that can affect that. For example... Uh, If you have a bow, you might have what's called the scouting ability. And that's where you're going to actually get to pick two dice out of the black bag and choose which one to roll, right? Which can be really crucial sometimes. So there's all kinds of little rules that are kind of baked into this game that are going to add a lot of variety to it without a lot of complexity, without a lot of overhead, which I really appreciate. Um, So you're going to roll the die and you're going to deal with it. If you decide to fight the monster, you're going to pick up that green die you have plus any equipment that you can use. So if I have a two-handed weapon like an axe and also a spear, well, i got to choose. Do I use the spear or do I use the axe? If I use an axe like an executioner's axe, um, I might get an instant kill if I, if I roll lucky. If, however, I use the spear, I'm going to kind of be able to use the reach of the spear to kind of hold the enemy off until I see how powerful they are and then I can decide to run away Uh, before I get my uh, uh, backside handed to me. So um, every weapon has something often that's very special about it and that will allow you to do something different. Um, The hammer, for example. Uh, If you don't have a key, you actually have a shot. If you have a big two-handed hammer, it's smashing a chest open. So there's all kinds of little things like that that are part of the game that add to the flavor, but they're not particularly difficult to pick up. And once you kind of learn the dice, it's all very easy. Um, so, then what you're going to do is you're going to pick up your equipment dice, that green die, you're going to roll. You're going to get a total. And the monster is going to roll as well. Then there are special effects that can kick in at that point. So there are uh, symbols that are, uh, I find, quite clear on the dice. Because these are large, chunky dice. I like that. These aren't like the little tiny courier's dice. These are big dice. So when you look at the little symbols on the dice, you can actually see them around the table. You don't have to pick it up and squint at it. Which, as I get older, I appreciate more and more. Believe me. So... Uh, there might be icons on the die for the monster or you might have icons on your dice. And some of those uh, effects might be armor. Well, if you have an armor symbol on a die, you can force a reroll of one of your opponent's dice or the monster can force you to re-roll one of yours, okay? Um, if you have a little scroll icon, well, you can cast a spell. Um, or perhaps if it's a monster, it might be immune to a type of spell. And the neat thing is is that whoever isn't playing, uh, their turn, they get to be the monster. So they get to make those decisions, which is really kind of nifty. Some uh, monsters inspire fear, and you're so scared you actually will drop a piece of equipment when you go into combat with them. So you might not be able to take your axe with you. You might just be rolling your green die and hoping for the best. Um, So there's all these different icons and symbols. There's a whirlwind symbol that will require everybody to re-roll and there's a sword symbol that will allow you to reroll one of your dice, you know, so you can attempt to improve your attack. So uh, all of these kind of uh, little icons, if they're present, and that's nice, I mean, it, you only have to worry about them or think about them if they're actually there. Um, Otherwise, it's just straight math. You just total up and you see who won. Um, But these little dice effects will then take effect. And then you'll have the opportunity to maybe use a spell or, uh, you know, throw a bomb. Uh, Those are uh, little red dice that you get out of that red bag with the spells. Um, And so you can try to affect the uh, outcome of the battle that way. When you're done, you're going to total up the monster's value and your value. If you equal or exceed the monster, you have defeated it. You're going to go up in level. If you defeated it by equaling its total however you're going to take a wound or if you are defeated by the monster you're going to take a wound and in this game what that means is you're going to lose a green die. So when your turn comes around again, you're going to have to pass to gain that green die back or you're going to have to use one of those healing spells and then you can gain your green die back immediately. So even though you lost, you're ready to go for your next turn and you don't have to pass again. So another really interesting little part of the game because those healing spells can be quite valuable. So, you're going to continue to play the game taking turns and rolling your dice, comparing against monsters until somebody reaches four victory points. So, you're going to gain a victory point by getting to level six, as I've already indicated, but you can also get a victory point by. Um, uh, accumulating gold treasures they'll give you a victory point and there are certain monsters the more powerful monsters are going to give you victory points so a, a die that shows a monster with a red etched um, icon is going to get you one point uh, black is going to get you two and gold is going to get you three all right and I think there's only one gold it's the gold dragon uh, the toughest thing to try to beat and that will get you three of your four victory points if you happen to somehow uh, defeat it because the monsters roll dice two, just like you do. And they have these black dice that they roll. And they have values on them from one to six. They're standard dice. And so if you're fighting a, you know, a gold dragon, which I believe rolls four or five of those dice, you could end up with you know, a, a huge total for that monster. Uh, plus, you know, it also is going to have some special abilities as well. So very daunting. So there's a lot of excitement built in there. Nothing here is really automatic. Okay. So far I'm describing a dice kind of a fest game. So what makes this different? What separates it? Well, in my opinion, what separates it, other than the gradual accumulation of experience as you level up, you get more of those green dice, you find better equipment, you might get some gold treasures, some artifacts. Other than that, which is already a good amount that differentiates this game, you also have the ability to work together. So when it's your turn You can ask another player, hey, do you want to help me fight this monster? And if that player agrees, then they'll come along and they'll fight with you. Now it's you and a partner against whatever the monster happens to be. This is kind of awesome. But what does your partner get? What does your partner receive for this help against this terrifying monster? Well, you get to negotiate that with them. So everything that you can have is negotiable. So you might say, hey, if you help me defeat this minotaur, I'll give you my cool two-handed uh, axe. And that other player can say, yeah, okay, I'll do that, because that player is also going to level up, because they're fighting a monster with you. So they're going to get a level and a cool axe out of it. Or they might say, no, 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 you're getting a gold treasure out of defeating this Minotaur, and that's worth a point all by itself, and you're already at level four, so that'll put you at level five, only one level away from you know, getting another point. Eh, no, you're going to have to do better than that. You give me the gold treasure, and I'll help you. So, you kind of have this negotiation back and forth, and then if you get someone who agrees to go with you, then you both get to roll, and you both get to add your totals and your special abilities, et etc., against the monster. So, there's this kind of competitive, cooperative part to it, which is really nifty, in my opinion, and, and totally different from some of the other sort of um, dungeon-crawl dice games and things that have come out. So, um, this is a game that I really, really enjoy. Um, I I like the the rules. I like the variety. I like the teamwork, com, you know, competition aspect of it. The dice are really nice. I mean, these are etched dice. They're large, easy to read, easy to see. Um, you know, as I talked about before, the game actually comes in a, in a large black bag um, that has, you know, the name and the, and the logo of the game, you know, written right there. Okay, so Dungeon Dice right on the bag, and then inside that big bag are all of these smaller bags, and they're color-coded, so red bag for the red dice, blue bag for the blue dice, gold bag for the gold dice, you get the point. So that's kind of nifty, and these are heavy-duty, sturdy drawstring bags. These are not um, you know, chintzy little bags that are gonna fall apart. Uh, these are very thick, very sturdy, nice kind of a fake sort of velour material, um, quite nicely done. So the production value of the game is really nice. That leads me to probably the only downside to this game, in my opinion, is the price. Uh, This is not a cheap game. I mean, the base game alone is going to cost you $60, um, and you can order it right from their website. And you, you you might think, this is an extremely expensive game for just a bunch of dice, and you would be right. However... You have to understand, each of the dice, for the most part, is entirely unique. Every monster die is an individual die. And so, this really is, I imagine, something that's going to add to the cost of the game from a production standpoint. There's really not much you can do about it when you have that many custom dice Now, some of the dice, you know, are standard dice, the green sort of level dice that you have, you know, that you're going to roll. But all of those equipment dice are different. They're differentiated. They're not only differentiated by the type. I mean, there's many spears, for example, in that blue equipment bag. But there's a purple spear, which is an exceptional quality one. There's a regular kind of a black etched spear. And these are etched. These are not, you know, these are not just screen printed dice. These are actually etched dice. So they're going to last a long time. Um, And then there's the kind of gray colored spear, which is a sort of rusted spear. It's the one that's not really valuable. So all of these custom dice coming in the bags is what I think sets the price point of this game uh, pretty darn high. So that may be a deterrent to some people. Uh, However, I will tell you this. I bought the game myself uh, for my son uh, primarily and, and I to have something to play. Uh, we have played this game over and over and over. My wife even likes this game, which boggles my mind because I-, I didn't think it would be anything. I mean, she hates fantasy themes and things like that, but she actually liked this one. Um, my my, One of my two daughters really enjoys it. Um, she has a blast playing it. And so we often get to play three- and four-player games of this game. And one of the other, I think, really big selling points of the game is that it really usually only lasts about 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes tops. It's a really quick game, and it's a lot of fun to play. There's a lot of cheering. There's a lot of engagement, And it's also a game that I think is easily customizable. I mean, my son and I have started playing to six points now instead of four points because we want a longer experience. You know, we want the chance to not just win the game by getting that gold flaming sword out of the bag because that's a point. And, you know, a lot of times you draw that artifact out of the bag and it's like, well, that's my fourth point. The game's over. No man, we want to use the flaming sword. So, we've extended the game now to like 6, you know, points instead of just 4 points so that, you know, it lasts a little bit longer. And the game holds up to that. Um there there will be some problems with supply of dice if you play a 4-player game to 6 points, but you could easily play to 5. And if you're playing with 2, you can easily play to 6 points. So, there's some variety that you can kind of throw in there as well if you find that you enjoy the game. So, um, in my opinion, this is absolutely, hands down, the best sort of, of the dungeon crawl dice games out there. I think it does a wonderful job at conveying the theme. I love the sort of uh, competitive, cooperative aspects of it. I love the different, unique dice. And the game's already got quite a few expansions to it. There's an expansion that adds familiar dice. So these are little creatures that might come and help you. Uh, on your quest but they also could potentially run away and you could lose your little familiar Uh, there's a a trap die that could spring up and and hurt you and kind of end your turn Um, there's all sorts of you know there's an additional monster pack that will add new monsters into that big black bag of monsters so there's all kinds of expansions that have already come and I am sure there's probably going to be expansions uh, in the future there's already one that took place on Kickstarter. Um, a whole nother set of dice. I believe it's called Guilds that's going to be coming up. So I really feel that Dungeon Dice is a winner of a game. If you can get past the price point, or if the price point doesn't bother you, uh, you're going to get some quality dice. You're going to get some quality bags. You're going to get a unique kind of a gameplay experience where you get that RPG feel of leveling up, accumulating you know cool bits of equipment and whatnot and you're gonna have a lot of fun so Dungeon Dice uh, from Potluck Games uh, designed by Sam Coates uh, with art by Cam Kendall I think this is a good game and one that I definitely would recommend to anyone looking for a fun quick light family game of dice rolling hooting and hollering Well, that's about all the time we have for this episode of The Long View. I, of course, want to thank uh, my sponsor, Uh, Gamesurplus.com. Gamesurplus.com is, uh, as I mentioned at the start of the show, uh, going through some transitions. And it's something that I'm very excited about for the future, but also a little bit sad about as well. Uh, Thor and his family, the Samuelson family, uh, as you may have seen by the time that this uh, episode is posted, um, they have decided to pass Game Surplus on to some family members of theirs who are going to continue to run Gamesurplus.com. Thor has assured me in my conversations with him that they are eager to not only continue the great traditions that uh, the Samuelsons have built up over the years at Game Surplus and the, the fabulous reputation but to actually expand and improve on it. Expanding the number of games that Game Surplus has to offer. And, uh, you know, kind of even more aggressively trying to grow the brand of Game Surplus, which is a fantastic brand. So there are going to be some changes uh, at Game Surplus, but... The uh, address is going to be the same. The portal is going to be the same. The uh, PayPal account is the same. The email account is the same. In other words, Thor is just handing over the company to uh, the Smucker family, and they're going to be handling Gamesurplus.com from now on. So I look forward to working with them uh, in the future. They've already indicated that they would like to continue uh, their association with uh, this podcast, The Long View, and to that, I'm very grateful and very pleased. So I'm happy to continue to have Gamesurplus.com as my sponsor. Um, And on a personal note, I'm a little sad to see Thor go and uh, his family, Sarah and the kids. I mean, they have been, uh, you know, people that I've enjoyed meeting and spending time with. Uh, I get to uh, play a game with Thor every year at uh, the WBC. Um, And he's about the nicest person you'd ever want to meet. And um, you know, I, am sad to see him go, but I'm happy for him. Uh, this is going to give him more time with his family. This is going to h- give him more time to, uh, actually, you know, as he and I talked about, he might actually get to play a game instead of just packing games and sending them to people. So, uh, game on Thor. Um, I, I really wish the best to you and your family. Uh, You have been fantastic people to work with and fantastic people to know. And I'm glad I've had the pleasure of getting to meet you. And I look forward to working with the Smucker family in the future. Um, But uh, I also am a little sad to have to say goodbye. But that doesn't mean we still can't meet up for our game at the WBC every year. So uh, for those of you who haven't heard that news, there is that transition in game surplus uh, ownership. But uh, I have been assured that the great traditions are going to continue and that new traditions will be made. And I look forward to seeing what that brings in the future. I also, of course, want to thank my guest tonight, Jim Shaw. Um, I had a lot of fun talking uh, with Jim, and I appreciate all the insight he brought to our discussion. I also, of course, uh, would be remiss if I didn't mention my local game store, uh, The Gamer's Edge in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, The Gamer's Edge is a fantastic place to go uh, here in northeastern Pennsylvania. It's right off of Interstate 80 on Main Street in Stroudsburg. Uh, They have a very large store. It's one of the things that really separates them. They have a whole front of the store, which is the store it's where they have over 500 board games it's where they have all of their magic cards pokemon yugioh um other deck builders um the adventure time deck builder a game that has just come out with all of its booster packs um they're one of the only stores in the area that has the marvel dice masters uh booster packs at the moment um so uh, you know they have all of this and then they have a whole comic book section they have a video game section But then the whole back of the store is this enormous uh, open space filled with eight-foot tables uh, where people can gather and play, whether it's magic or a collectible card game or a board game. There's plenty of table space. So uh, it's well lit. It's well maintained. And so this is one of the things that I'm really excited about at the Gamer's Edge. So if you live in northeastern Pennsylvania or northern New Jersey or perhaps southern New York, uh, I would definitely, uh, you know, the next time you're in the area stop by the gamer's edge right on main street in stroudsburg pennsylvania and see all that they have to offer i think you'll find that it is a wonderful game store and resource for gamers in this region so check out the gamer's edge so for jim shaw and myself i want to say thanks to everybody out there for listening and have a great night